Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Hello, Jim. Hello, David. There was a great big event this weekend. Do you remember that? Yes. Do you remember that? Yes, there was. Uh, yeah, so GearFest. Uh, it happened. It's over with. Um, it actually was oddly like more soothing when it let down this year than it had been in the past. Um, uh-huh. I sort of stuck to my thing from last year, which is I wasn't going to spend a buttload of money this year, but I spent some money. I did. So what did you get? Um, besides a guilty conscience, um, (laughs) I don't, I, I was going to hear nothing's plugged in. Okay. I got this. Okay. Which is the walrus audio fathom. The fathom. Yep. So that's a reverb, right? It's a reverb. Uh, it has hall plate and then like a shimmer verb. And I don't know what the L stands for. Um, and then it has a parameter control called X, which allows you to dial in different things with each of the uh, different modes. Um, the hall and the plate is what I bought it for. The shimmer is great. Um, and, uh, I'm really happy with it. This thing has way, like, it's a spacey sounding verb pedal. If you, if you hit the decay up past nine o'clock and the dampen, um, up past nine. I mean, it gets like intensely out there. I guess you would consider this a modulated reverb. It has a it has a modulation uh, setting for high, medium, and low, and it's just a toggle switch. But the coolest part, and this is the thing that I didn't even realize when I bought it, it has a sustain button, and if you hit and hold this, it'll actually just like sustain the reverb for a particular note or like particular passage, and then you can hold it and it'll sustain it as long as you hold it. The cool thing, so the cool thing is that's not just it, Jim. That's not all. So obviously, like a typical pedal, you hit the bypass switch, it goes on, right? If you hit the sustain pedal and the bypass pedal at the same time and then take your foot off, they both shut off. So it's intelligent enough to know that when you hit this, you also hit this and that the bypass shouldn't be held, which is cool because now you can use it to jump the reverb on right and dump it for that specific passage um this is going to become an important part of some of the things that i do because i was like oh i can do that and then immediately i was like oh now i can end songs with a huge reverb tail and you can make it just go whacked out when you do it it's i mean it's brilliant it's that's an incredibly smart piece of tech um but uh, and the pedal itself is well built. I do like the fact that they emboss their logo in the back, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, my lights are not picking this up. Actually, it'll probably be better because I'm going to co- color correct in post. And it'll all, it won't look as like, it looks like a teal color. It's green. It's very green. Um, oh, okay. So it looks my, my, well, my lights are yellow. Um, oh, and so I have the yellow gels in them. And that's because my room is very blue. Um, and then in post, it makes it easier to get uh, for me to get to a proper white balance. Uh, anybody who was watching last week probably noticed my camera looked so much better than it usually does. And I bought, I mean, I bought like cheapy $25 lights on Amazon. So it wasn't like a crazy expenditure. I got this and then 
Um, back behind me, underneath the Kemper, uh, you can't see it in that shot here. Underneath the Kemper is my Lone Star Cab, which I got last week. Um, that yeah. was not a Gear Fest purchase, but that came from Good Time Music because I want to support my local retailers. Um, and then I got, which hasn't arrived yet, uh, it's on back order, is the JHS Unicorn is coming. Um, that's a Unified pedal. Uh, analog, yeah. tap tempo, you know, hold like nine yards on that. Um, and I got those pedals for the same price for the for the Gear Fest deal, um, which at this point probably isn't something I should I should have to hide too much. But they were about thirty bucks off um, each, right? For a grand total of sixty dollars savings. And then I got uh, Easy Bass, uh, Tune Track Easy Bass, and I got that for seventy bucks off or something. Wow. No, uh, fifty bucks off. So I'm sitting pretty at about $110 saved. And then I actually got a, uh, one of the drum MIDI packs for um, Easy Drummer, and that was uh, 5 bucks savings. So on a $25 MIDI pack, right? It's not like anything to write home about. Um, but yeah, no, it was good. It was worth it. I got some cool stuff, and um, I'll have plenty to play with if, if uh, COVID stays on lockdown for any longer here. Um, we're in phase four right now. Bars are open. Uh, I suspect, yep. um, depending on how the case counts look and stuff, I might be back to playing open mics sometime in August. Um, cool. I'm, I'm sort of like hedging my bets on that because I'm like, well, do I really want to go out and spread disease because I want to play open mic? Um, I mean, I got to weigh my options. I obviously have, uh, I have some differing, uh, opinions and thoughts about that. But um, it is what it is. So um, I'm getting my board laid out down here. Um, see, there's a method to my madness, Jim. You saw this before the show. This will be the finished board. King of Tone, Sunface. This is actually really heavy. Uh, Kingmaker. Uh, this is a compressor they got from Good Time Music. They make these. Uh, it is the Loving Touching Squeezing Compressor. And then, the, of course, the Ethos Overdrive in my RC3 and the Waza tuner, um, not in that order, of course. So did you get the Waza tuner because you wanted the Waza tuner? Did you get the Waza tuner because Drew bypass wanted... switch. Okay. I want to be able to turn off the, uh, buffer if I need it. So right yeah. now, in fact, I was playing with this the other day. So right now my sun face won't play nice in the Kemper loop. Uh, ideally, I would like to have my, battle, my my board going into the loop on the Kemper so that I can trigger and I can still use the wah built into the Kemper. Um, that's probably not going to end up being the long-term solution. Uh, but So I, I was going to have the true bypass turned on when I plug into the Kemper and then adjust my fuzz face settings to match that, which yeah. it has a tunable, it has a tunable buffer. That's what the that's what the the uh, there's an, there's a trim pod on the inside for adjusting the input gain, um, and I need to adjust mine. I haven't done it yet. I'm terrified of changing it. I'm gonna have to put some nail polish or something. I might thank thank my wife for that, by the way. Um, put some nail polish or something on there so I can tell where the original setting was. But yeah. um, I'm gonna have to do it because it, I was just playing with this the other day. The Sunface does sound better than the Kingmaker. Like when I put them next to one another, there's something about the sun face that the Kingmaker doesn't do. And it's, and it's like a complexity thing. I think if you didn't have them on the same board, you would never know. But now that I know it's like, really now, I'm, now I'm not going to be satisfied. I'm always going to know. Um, but that's cool because I found another use for the Kingmaker, which is a rat. 
Right now, I oh. have it programmed to be a rat in one position on the three-way toggle. And yeah. I, I, I have never been a fan of the rat. I'm not even going to lie. The rat pedal always seemed kind of silly to me. And then I played my buddy Mike's, uh, Mike Mara, um, show listener, and uh, he had a good LM308 rat. I mean, that had to be. He doesn't know what transistor or whatever is in it, but or not the transistor, but the IC chip. But I have a feeling it's an LM308. And yeah. it's way better than the production ones I played. Way better. Head and shoulders. Um, and also because I sort of, I think when I was trying rats out, like, um, that was before I bought, so years and years ago, I had the electroharmonics, um, uh, the metal muff. And uh, I was trying out rats when I bought the metal muff. And the reason I was trying out rats is because I had heard somewhere that, like, you could get Jeff Beck kind of blow-by-blow sounds out of a rat. I don't know if that's true or not. I, I haven't played with one enough. I think they're actually a little bit too gainy for that. But um, you could get some pretty cool overdrives out of it, too. Uh, I was playing around with it, and I was just like, I got to get a rat. Well, I'm not going to buy a rat yet, for sure. Um, I think the, the more likelihood is I'll build my own, um, just because it's a fun project, and, well, rat's a rat. And they're, they're, and not, they're simple. They're not a crazy circuit to build, and... A lot of people build them as a first pedal. Um, I built other pedals, so this is not going to be a big deal. But I may build my own rat um, just to have one. And then that, at that point, maybe the Kingmaker goes or maybe the Kingmaker becomes something else. Um, but so the, so the interesting thing is uh, when you're running with a buffer on the sun face, it's actually um, sensitive to buffers on both ends of the pedal. But for whatever reason, it's less sensitive to the buffer on the left side. Right. So... I have found that if I use the buffer on the boss, I think, because I, I put some other buffers in front of it, and it didn't seem to affect the sun face like in the same way at all, I think I can get away with, and I need to, I need to do a trial run, I think I can get away with putting in the effects loop on the Kemper. And if that's the case, then I can, I can do all my switching with a Kemper, and I can have like preset pedals for each song or whatever, like this is what I'm going to use on this, or, or I can do the performance thing where I go and stomp on this board. Um, yeah, I'll have a giant floorboard setup going with you know the Kemper remote on one side and then this on the other um but this will suffice until the new Kemper drives come um and when the new Kemper drives come hopefully I can get away with those and not have to have like this crazy board with extra drives on it um though granted I still like having this because I still do it like, back there is my Mark 525 I still like plugging this thing in there um, and I actually, so as an open mic rig, like self-contained with the ethos overdrive on it, it's freaking great. Um, I plugged it into my interface and I was just slaying. It sounded so good. And I was sitting there going, that's not even an amp. Like it's just a preamp with a, with a speaker simulator on it. It's yeah. filthy good. Um, and I had it running into, uh, my PreSonus interface direct to my monitors, like nothing else going on literally monitoring it dry um post reverb you know i had my reverb after the the um preamp so i was getting like a little bit of a wet sound but even when i turned it off like i remember the last time i did this i was like oh it's really dry and i don't like that sound um but then i turned the reverb off and it still sounded good and i kind of sat there for a minute i go did i really need this reverb and then i thought thought to myself i said yeah i did <laughs> but yeah. but it, the thought did cross my mind for a moment i was like man did you just make a like a 200 dollars mistake or Whatever, you know, it's like, <sighs> anyway. Uh, Jim, um, did you watch any of the Sweetwater coverage? Did you watch the uh, any of the stuff? 
I mean, it's all available on oh. demand, so you could do that retroactively, but. Yeah, I was watching a little bit of it, um, you know, because I, my kids had me running around. I got to travel because I'm ch switching jobs, as you know, um, next week. So as you guys listen to this the following Monday, I'll be in uh, South Carolina for a couple to five days, depending on what they asked me to do. Um, so uh, the kids had me running around. Dad, we're going to need this while you're gone. We're going to need that while you're gone. <laughs> And one wants to go to one town and one wants to go to the other town and stuff. Um, but anyway, so uh, I was doing that. And um, and then my my one son says to me, I've never seen the ocean. What? Yeah. The one that lived here for the whole time has seen it, obviously, he lived down here. But the other one lived in upstate New York. He's never seen the ocean. And I said, your mother it's never It's not like it's miles from the ocean. Yeah, and know. you guys have yeah, well i guess you guys have i said well next time we go over this bridge just look because <laughs> that's <laughs> the ocean you know like look down and there not, you see that that's the ocean have you ever seen the other side that's <laughs> because it goes that far it's hilarious but, um, yeah it was pretty funny um so we're gonna we're gonna make a trip down to the beach we went to go down to the beach the traffic this weekend was terrible. Of course, <laughs> next week is Fourth of July weekend, so I'm not going down that weekend. So it'll be a yeah. couple of weeks. And I'm hoping to take him. I'm I'm hoping the base opens their beach because that's more private. It's military only and military families. So, but anyway, so yeah, I caught some of it. Um, like you were saying about uh, the um, uh, we were talking earlier. Billy Gibbons gave a thing on there and um i i was saying to you i said yeah he's kind of like the um the gene simmons of blues rock yeah because he was very much like here buy my hot sauce buy my no. strings buy my and people were making comments about it in the chat too like really um yeah. Yeah. so he's been like that though if anybody expected something different from him it's because they haven't been a true yeah, fan. Yeah, I mean, God. he's been he's like that for at least always. ten years. At least ten years. <clears throat> so um, his his family. Do you know his his background? So uh, his dad. Very little. Yeah, his dad, his uncle, his grandfather were all in movies. Okay. Uh, they were producers and directors and stuff like that. So he grew up in the Hollywood scene, and he, for him, ZZ Top was just a passion project. It wasn't about making a living or anything yeah, so because he was already pretty wealthy at that yeah. point i mean he'd been handed He's, bound money like yeah. more than likely i'm not gonna i'm not gonna speak for his situation but it sounds like he had already pretty much had it yeah, made at really, that point yeah he came up in money and he's been in a lot of things um he was on bones he played uh, one of the characters fathers on bones he's, yeah i remember but that even before that he did stuff and you know, his thing with the, he was collecting cars even back in the Los, um, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, Trace Hombres. Yeah. And uh, um, Los Amigos or mm -hmm. Trace Amigos or whatever it was. Um, he did, uh, um, he did stuff like that back then because one of his cars was then featured in later the Eliminator and the uh, Exterminator, whatever those, Exter those albums that sound exactly the same. But Exterminator. <laughs> Just making stuff up there. That's hilarious. But no, I like it. He's a, yeah, he's always been that way. He's always been the fluffy guitars. He's 
He's always taking, hey, somebody's going to give me something for free. Heck yeah. But you got to give him credit. He was, I mean, let's face it. He, he, um, at least if you believe what he tells you, he did some roadie stuff for Hendrix. He's been... He was actually in the Moving Sidewalks, which was a band that played with yeah. Hendrix. So yeah. whether he's a roadie or not, it's kind of ske- sketchy. Well, but, in I mean, the, he's on he the same stage. He helped move his amps. And yeah, stuff like yeah, that. but they and so that's he ended up with one of the he ended up with Hendrix's wah pedal somehow. So, I mean, that's yeah, he likely yeah. grifted that. Um, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> that's that's not unheard of in those yeah. in those types of situations. Um, so, and it might be something Hendrix said. Yeah, whatever. You know, yeah, it's possible. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I could just get another. Didn't one. Give no crap. Yeah, I just get another. Hey, what happened to that wah pedal? I don't know. Just get another one. Yeah, but it was a Hendrix. It was a Hendrix signature wah. Hendrix looks. Oh wow! <laughs> you know, it's like shit. I didn't. Know. Obviously, that didn't happen, but that would be so funny. <laughs> I don't care. Maybe it wasn't even and up there. Maybe I just imagined it. Maybe it was like all the acid and like no. <laughs> a guy like him had probably had so many freaking wah pedals. He didn't know what to do. With yeah, them. well, so he got one of the first ones from Manny's music. Like they weren't super popular, and like he he got turned onto it fast. Um, yeah. Anything new guitar related, like he was into quick. Yeah. Um, he had the first the first modulation effect, which was the Univide, like shortly after yeah. it came out. Um, yeah. And he was very interested in that stuff. But anyway, at any rate, um, so last year, uh, this marks the the first anniversary. Actually, last week would have been the actually the first anniversary of me buying the Kemper. Um, yep. It has been requested, and and don't think I'm doing this because I'm being selfish or anything. Uh, it's actually been requested by a, one of our Patreon supporters that I do a little bit of talk and discussion about what the Kemper is and how the Kemper functions. So I asked people today in the group um, to start submitting questions for a Kemper FAQ. And I was going to have Jim try to read through those and ask me the questions, but but if I if there's anything we miss, yeah. we'll go back and we'll look through at the end. But um, yeah. I, and I also yeah. promised John that I actually get the Kemper when we talk about one of the one of the questions. So I'll go get it when we get to that question. So I'll go ahead and start reading. Yeah, sure. So for the um, the first question, Dan Kish, we'll we'll hit this one. Can it be used as a recording interface? I kind of think the answer to that is yes. No. no. It's not a recording interface. So in the idea that um, what he's asking about is a USB recording interface, the idea that like, so the helix and yeah, which is, which when people first hear that, they're like, what? And then you explain why. And I think it sort of makes a little bit more sense. Um, So when I bought it, that actually kind of ticked me off a little bit because I was like, why would you not allow direct USB out? I knew this at GearFest when I bought it. Um, I bought uh, SPDIF cables to go with it. I bought an interface that had SPDIF on it, which I curse at regularly. Um, that's the interface that's powering the show right now. Um, and uh, so SPDIF, right? It's an older protocol. Why would they choose that? Well, the Kemper is nine years old, folks, and that's going to get into the next question. But the, but the Kemper is like nine years old, Okay. Um, so when the when the Kemper was created, there were the ADAC connections did exist, but they were not popularly used to have these big like extension pieces to your interface. And they didn't use to, like so like a UAD it had two physical inputs on it, and then it has the two um, one or two uh, ADAT inputs. And now they say it's like a 10 n or a tw- or a 10 in or a 12 in interface or 24 in interface. No. It does not have 24 inputs. It has 24 channels available if you plug in external hardware via the ADAT connection. So 
The camper comes out pre-ADAT, so they use SPDIF. It's basically the same thing. It's a digital audio um, input format, and it uses clock, signal, and all this other stuff to, to make it work. So it syncs up to your existing card, which is nice, and I'll explain why in a moment, um, rather than USB. So everybody thinks that when they hear, like, the Helix can be used as a recording interface, the Fractal can be used as a recording interface. Everybody loses their mind thinks, I don't have to buy gear to record with. Wrong. So here's the problem. How are you going to connect your studio monitors to your computer? Are you going to connect them through your audio interface, which is then your Helix or your Fractal? Now, both the Helix and the Fractal do have extra inputs, but this means I actually have to take the Helix and Fractal and put it somewhere in my space where these cables are readily going to be available. And when I go to a gig, I'm going to have to unhook it and leave these cables dangling for my dog or my cat to chew up, you know, um, it's not a good idea. I, I, I honestly don't think there's a whole lot of people that would be like, that's a tremendous value. Um, it is nice to have it, which the funny part is the Kemper actually does have the outputs for it. It has a USB-A and a USB-B connector on the back of it. So it could be male, to fema male or female, depending on what you need. And the ports are fully functional, except they didn't route audio through the USB port. Right. So um, yeah. that was a conscious decision by Kemper. They had it available to them and they chose not to. And here's why they never envisioned that the Kemper would end up in like um, what I would call prosumer hands because of its price tag. So their their assumption was this would end up in studios, people that had like a lot of gear money built up and invested. Right. And so they figured in a studio environment, you'd use the SPDIF connection to connect to the right. board or to the audio interface and get your yeah, sounds out of the, the DAW that way. Um, or in, in a lower budget scenario, you'd use XLR cables, which are fine. Actually, I would even argue that you would want to use XLR outs on this guy because you want quality preamps taking the signal out of the Kemper into your DAW. Um, and it makes it, it makes a world of difference right now. Like the PreSonus obviously doesn't have quality preamps, so I'm totally cool using SPDIF for that. But, um, I, I know I'm going to get hate mail for that. Uh, I just don't think the PreSonus pre sound that great. They're a big fat sounding thing, but they don't have any of the delicateness that you would find in like a 1073, which you can't even get a hold of for under a thousand bucks a piece. Um, or, um, you know, even something like the UAD systems or um, Audient puts out some pretty stellar pre's at the same price point. But um, the idea is that you would want to put it into something that that is going to give you better signal quality and, and actually sweeten the sound and do some stuff to it um, rather than just, you know, huck it out via XLR. That being said, the in and out on this thing is extremely flexible. Uh, I would actually say it's probably more flexible and more well thought out. Um, on the output side specifically than like say the HX Stomp or even the Helix um, because it has so the Helix is really flexible and that's that's a hard thing to say so I, I probably am, am cut myself short on that one but um, it, it's flexible and, and it's smart and it's well engineered uh, the, not having USB wasn't a deal breaker for me um, it will be for some folks I'm sure but it's just you know when you're buying a, a product I think Jeff said it in the group and, and he's kind of right when you're buying a product that costs $2,200 for, you know, the entry level with the remote, um, what's the extra 200 bucks for a stereo interface with XLR plugs? I mean, 
the idea that you're going to plug your monitors into the Kemper and monitor your entire DAW through your Kemper seems kind of silly to me. So, so we're using for the spit if you're using a toss link. Uh, it's just spit if it's actually it's actually over RCA. Okay, you they're don't not RCA, the they're coax, whatever you call them. But anyway, yeah. um, that that's another interesting uh thing I was thinking. So like, if you have, I mean, you could theoretically do what they call port aggregation, which is not really port aggregation on audio device, and have your DAW like negotiate a um a compatible rate like a like a, a clock speed for both both interfaces which in this right. case would allow you to run the outputs of your interface the inputs of the Kemper I have not had good experience doing this I've actually had abysmal experiences doing this and talking with other people that's that's been a problem too even now um and they have a there's a driver set called ACO for all which is supposed to take your ACO stuff and make it talk nice I think ACL for all is a is a scam and a, well it's not a scam it doesn't cost anything right it's about it, I, somebody actually told me it's about as good as what it costs which is it's good for nothing um, and that's because it it adds a lot of latency um, to use ACL for all and so I wouldn't recommend it if you're doing home studio stuff maybe you can get away with it but I would I would highly recommend you get an interface where you can actually do uh, real time monitoring and use that. Actually, don't don't even monitor out of your DAW if you can, um, and you'll have a much better experience with the camper. But uh, that answers a couple of questions there, I think. Okay, I'm going to skip over one. Um, we can come back to it uh, on purpose because it's a long one. Okay. Um, so someone said the head, black version only, is available with a built-in class D power amp. That's correct. It produces 600 watts, eight ohms or 300 watts, 16 ohms. And um, let me pull up the manual while I'm talking to you. Go ahead. Yep. And the question is, success, what is the suggested cabinet and speakers to handle that? I suggest just don't turn it up to 11. Okay. So this was my initial fear with the Kemper, right? Like that I would buy the powered one and I only had a 1x12 cab with a V30 in it. So I got like 80 watts of power handling or something. Um, yeah. So in the manual, they tell you it's actually rated for 4, 8, or 16 ohm guitar cabs. Yeah. I'm running 4 ohms right now a lot of times. I'm running my V30 and my uh, my uh, C90 cab. So I got a Lone Star cab and the, the Rectifier cab that's underneath the Mark V. Um, and I run them at four ohms. So what this does, if you run a cabinet, and I try to briefly go through this, but if you run a cab at four ohms, you're actually doubling the, the uh, wattage that goes through the, the speakers. Um, so you can do that. And a lot of people say, like, it's dangerous. You don't want to do that. Listen, uh, most people will tell you, you can get away with it. You just got to make sure you don't put too much wattage to the speaker because that's actually what will burn it. Okay, this will cause your voice coil to melt uh, or you'll blow the speaker. Basically the same thing. Um, so to, in order to not damage the speaker, and I and I think there's some risk to power uh, to power output transformers and, and guitar amps doing this as well, but um, I think it's more of a, a risk of blowing the speaker. Uh, honestly, I don't think it can handle it. Um, so four ohms, if I'm running 600 watts and it doubles the wattage output, if I'm running at four ohms, I'm running 1,200 watts out of the Kemper. 
um, which, you know, we think about waters in terms of volume. That's a loud freaking thing, and it is loud. So like a quarter watt, I can't be in the room with it very easily in this condo because uh, my neighbors upstairs will start getting mad. Um, and uh, so I run um, – when I'm running that, I'm running like real, real low on the on the Kemper. Uh, the Kemper has output monitoring on it now, which is a new feature, um, which will actually tell you how much wattage it's putting out, and and it'll help you blow, keep you from blowing your stuff up. But in general, I mean, people were using this thing for eight years before that ever even appeared. So, some people, yeah, if you want, ask credit for them, some people, yeah, I blew up a cab or whatever. And I gotta say, you gotta. I mean, if you blew up the cab, chances are, you we're not being sensible with the Kemper and or the speakers had something wrong with them to begin with. And when you put max volume through them, which you'd never done with a tube amp or whatever conventional amplification you had, that's what actually caused it. Um, that I would speculate that I've been running that V30 pretty hard um, for about a year with Kemper and haven't really had any problems with it. I don't push tons of volume through that cabinet because I am sensible, but if you've ever played a, uh, uh, like a 50-watt amp through a 25-watt speaker, you can tell when that speaker is going to give up the ghost. Like, it's pretty noticeable. Um, so I would I would caution that part of it. Like, just be aware that, you know, if the speaker sounds funky, if it sounds like it's distorting and it's, like, starting to starting to melt, you'll hear it. <laughs> you'll know. Uh, and actually, Kemper themselves had said the same thing, which is, like, if you notice the speaker is not sounding correct... Uh, turn it down. Um, but granted, I mean, I, I've done profiles and matched the volumes of both amps. I actually felt like it was harder to get the volume up on the Kemper than it was on the real amp. And I think part of that's because I don't think they're actually using all 600 watts as like pure out, pure power output. I think what they're actually doing is limiting it. So in a, in a real amplifier and like a class D amplifier situation, when it distorts, it sounds awful. Um, so what they often will do is say an amplifier is a hundred class D Watts. And what that really means is it's 300 class D Watts so that you never get into that power output distortion. Um, and it's just clean power and it's limited. So the volume knob doesn't even, it'll never even get to where you can use all 600 Watts. I think in the Kemper, you can actually put out 600 Watts, but in order to do it, there's a, what they call the power boost feature which is you have to turn it on and it's on the screen with the, the output volume. You have to turn it on. And then of course you get more volume, right? Um, and I think it goes up to, you know, it's like zero to 12. So I, I'm assuming it's DB, but I don't know for sure. Um, 12 DB would be like three times the power. So that would kind of match up, <laughs> you know, three is three is double the power. Nine is, you know, it is triple the power. So 12 would logically be, you know, kind of in that triple the power zone. Um, yeah, but that's it. Is there anything else about the, the uh, Kemper volume and, and nope. ohm rating? I mean, I, I think you're safe. I don't think there is like an expected speaker output solution. Of course, you can do the Kemper cab. Uh, I don't even think the Kemper cab is rated for the full 600 watts. And that's just because they, they knew they didn't need it. Um and that's a whole other like conversation, but I think there's a question about the Kemper cab. I don't have a ton of experience with it, but I know enough from other people's conversations to probably answer the question. Okay, so in a hundred words or less. I was given yeah. more in the in the comments. You gave, I, said, you I gave couldn't a tie lot. my shoe with a hundred words. 
in a hundred, <laughs> yeah, exactly. In a hundred words or less at a high level. So don't go wade in the weeds on this one. Explain the process of creating a profile. So it's kind of heavy, but I will, uh, I will do my best to do that here. So you have a direct output send this guy and, um, you have, I'm looking for the, uh, return input with an XLR, right? So this goes out to your amp on the front end. Yeah. This goes to your microphone. You put your microphone in front of the amp. You get it sounding the way you want. This thing actually allows you to monitor through headphones in the front, which is actually why it has a headphone port, um, to get your, to help you get your microphone where you want it. You can put it in another room if you want. You can do all that sorts of stuff. And then basically when you're ready to profile, um, there's a, on the chicken head knob, it's on the front here. Try to get it so I can hold it. Yep. There's a profile. You button. go down to profiler. And then basically you hit go. Um, you, there's a couple of questions it asks you. It's like a wizard, right? You hit go and it sends test signals out from the, from the, uh, the send into the amplifier. And then they pick, get picked up by the microphone, which is why the microphone is part of the profile. Um, and then they come back into the Kemper and the Kemper makes the profile from that. So it's not super complicated. Um, obviously you need to know what an amp should sound like. Um, I would recommend if you're gonna do it, put your Kemper in another room so you can monitor the amp turned up um, and make sure you get your mic placement right. Spend some time doing the mic placement. Spend some time twisting the knobs on your actual amp. And then when you're ready to rock and roll, you'll have a facsimile. Um, I, I've experimented with two mics, uh, for doing profiles. You gotta know your, you gotta know your shit if you're gonna do that. I mean, you, you really need to know about phase relationships and you need to have the proper gear to aggregate those mics back into the Kemper. So you need like a, a mixer and you need to pan both things. Cause it doesn't do, it doesn't do a stereo profile. It's a, it's a mono profile. So you'd have to use a, some way to sum those like in a mixer and then give out, like put everything on the left end and then send it out to the amp. And yeah. I've done that. It works. Um, my problem was my mics were out of phase. So those profiles are terrible. Um, when I use the cabinet modeling inside the, inside the Kemper. So the Kemper can separate. This is where the voodoo magic happens, right? This isn't part of the profiling process per se, but this is part of how the Kemper works. So like, this is a common question we probably should answer. I don't think anybody actually asked this one. So the Kemper actually has voodoo magic in it. Okay. I, I don't know how this works. Um, it's not straight EQ. I can tell you that right now, but basically you can press a button on the Kemper and it, it knows what to actually extract from your amplifier signal coming back in as a mic profile to eliminate the microphone and eliminate the speaker with varying degrees of success. I would say 85% on the worst case scenario, 95 to 97% on best case scenario, you can eliminate your cabinet from the sound. Uh, I think if you use a, a straight up SM57, about an inch off the, the uh, cone, you know, the center of the cone, um, you're gonna get really good results when you turn the cab off and it's gonna sound like a direct profile. There is also now the ability to make a direct profile, which is um, instead of running a microphone, you use, because um, you, you saw there was a TRS jack on the back that's next to where that XLR connector is at. You can actually use that, I think. And, and the way it works is um, you put it through a direct box. So you get a direct signal from the, the power output of your amp. You plug it into the Kemper. 
and now you've got a profile of the direct sound of the amp. I've been using direct profiles when I'm using my cabinets and they sound better um, because they, in most cases, if you have a profile that doesn't work quite right when you turn the when you turn the cabinet modeling off a direct profile will solve that problem most of your commercially available profiles now are coming with a direct option they might do three or four profiles that are really good for direct and then you have the last so studio profile is the conventional way you do it right with the cabinet and then you have direct and then you have merged and so what merged profile means is you have both you make both profiles right with a cabinet and then with a direct box and you combine them so that it can correctly remove the cabinet and it makes everything a little bit better now i i've had varying degrees of success playing with merge profiles i think um i think studio profiles are probably my favorite um but i i see why they did the merge profile which is like we want to eliminate that extra you know 10 percent of problems that can occur with the the cab the cab defeat um i don't see a ton of merge profiles for sale they are out there but like uh, Tone Junkie, for example, doesn't make a big deal about doing merge profiles. Um, and that's because I think he's sort of in the school where I am. It's like you buy the camper for, sta for studio profiles. I mean, um, if you are going to run a cab with it, like you can if you buy a pack with 32, 32 models of the same amp, 32 profiles of the same amp, you're going to find one that works for you. Um, <laughs> you're going to turn off the cab model and you're going to be happy if you plug it into a, a cabinet. So. Well, again, um, yeah, you'll use it in a, either in a direct uh, studio environment or you're going to use it on stage mm -hmm. in a direct environment. Yeah, and that was another raging part of that conversation I was having with John when he asked that question was like, I, I had a side conversation with I want to share before we move on to the, la the last couple of questions. But um, I reached out to him and I said, you know, if you got, quite, if you got other questions about this, like I'm, I'm happy to answer them. Uh, he is a he is a, a leading Patreon supporter, and and I you know always take care of our Patreon supporters. Um, I reached out to him and I said you know hey, what are you thinking? And and he basically said well you know I'm look I was thinking about the uh, the powered Kemper, and I and I said well honestly if I was gonna do it I probably wouldn't buy a powered Kemper. Um, even now like I'm I'm kind of the point where like I don't use the power amp enough. I I, I like having it. Is it a five hundred dollar feature? I mean, if I had to pay full price for the camper, I didn't pay full price for it. I probably wouldn't do it. Um, only because I would have done, and I told him, I said, in retrospect, I would have bought a pair of QSC monitors, like nice ones, and just use those for monitoring on stage. And then when I needed the extra volume, I can turn one of them around and face the audience or whatever I got to do. But the reality is I don't really need extra volume. Most of the places I play have 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 beyond adequate PAs. Um uh, old Stumpy's PA is not the greatest. Uh, I do use a cab to monitor Old Stumpy. I have to be really careful about how loud I am because there's acoustic guitars and stuff there. And so I, I having a little bit extra control of my monitor. I think the next time I play out, I might just take the Kemper and my wedge and see how that goes. Um, but I mean, that's really the only reason you buy the power thing is if you have to have a cabinet on stage, if you're like, I really want to have a cabinet, you buy the power one. Otherwise, get a Seymour Duncan power stage, get a QSC, you know, whatever you got to do to get the amplification situation that you need and that you're comfortable with. But I don't think there's necessarily a reason to buy the powered one anymore. I mean, there was a time like when, yeah, it was really convenient to have an ICE uh, power amp, an ICE power amp inside the... Um, uh, the Kemper and like, but now you can buy commercially available ones for like peanuts. Um, 
and they're convenient. And if you don't need to take it, it's just a little bit extra weight. I think they're I think it actually adds about two pounds to the Kemper's weight. Um, if I remember correctly, because I did all the weight calculations and stuff for air travel um, when I bought mine. Um, and uh, yeah, so there, I mean, there's that. And of course, one more thing to break, right? Um, so if you're not going to use the power amp, don't buy one. Save your money. Buy one used. Uh, used Kemper uh, profilers like the toaster right now are going for like way under what they should be going for because the, the stage has cannibalized them. So if you're yeah. gonna buy one, if you're on the fence and you want to try one out, the um, toaster is reasonably priced right now. Okay, so that was a little more than a hundred words. Oh, that the question? No, the question was answered way over a thousand words, <laughs> but the last little bit was like another tangent. I I don't count that. Okay, so the last question: the way I understand a profile, it is it. It is like a moment in time or a reflection of a particular amp mic'd a particular way with the amp set a particular way in a particular room. I don't know how particular that is. Um, anyway, <laughs> we got to buy John Bott a, 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 a thesaurus. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, once I have a profile, I can tweak it many ways with the onboard controls. True or false? Okay. Uh, I, I, I laughed and I said I can answer that one in one word. And I would say true. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I would also say misleading because yeah. – um, so, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a copy of the amplifier and the microphone and the cable and anything else you put in the signal path between the Kemper and the, you know, the Kemper outputs, like in that loop. Because um, that's what it is. It's a loop. In fact, you can use that as an effects loop in the Kemper, which is wild. Um, so it, yes, it, it is absolutely true that it's a moment in time. The way that the amp is set up, it makes a copy of the profile. It adds post amp EQ, but the, but the EQ inside the Kemper is not meant to mimic the amps controls. It, it can't measure the controls in order for you to do that. You would actually have to turn the controls and it would have to take multiple tests. And you could see how the profiling process could take hours if you had to like picture a Mesa boogie with like extra knobs, you know, and you're like, Oh God, I got to turn the presence knob. And like, they want me to tweak it like one tenth of a turn or something. <laughs> um, you could see where that would get like sketchy and crazy. Um, right. Actually, I think you could probably do it by saying, you know, put it at noon, put it all the way up, put it at, you know, put it at zero, put it at noon, put it all the way up. But um, it's a whole thing. And like, they, they don't go through the shenanigans. Plus when you got interactive controls, that makes it even more nightmarish. Like if you ever had an amp where you push a treble and then the bass in the middle do nothing, that that's what interactive is. Um, you'd have to cycle through all the possible permutations. It's just not, well, that, it's yeah, not feasible. And, right. That not all amps um, are the volume and the, the bass and the treble and the mid. Right. Like there are some amps. I don't even know why some of that is on there. I honestly, like, you know. Yeah, like the like the, the Marshall Plexis, like it should just be volume knobs and that's it because the, the tone it. knobs don't do anything um, unless the amp is like, you know, at one, which nobody yep. ever uses them at one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and there's a point in my Marshall where, okay, that just became useless. And yeah, and it's know, just that's this. that's. That's yeah, the Marshall thing. That's like, that's the yeah. tone stack, you know? Um, yeah. So. And of course that depends on where I have, what I'm doing clean or what I'm crunching or what I'm using the, you know, and it's all different. 
my my tone controls are different based on that and it's based and like i said sometimes it just goes away it's just useless most of the control like the tone controls for the tone stack bass middle travel presence those yeah. controls uh on the camper i'm almost never touching if i don't like the way they're set in the profile i switch to another profile right. um and usually the profiles are diverse enough or they're they're just gain staged and they're already really set pretty well anyway the reputable ones are usually pretty good um yeah. and when i can't find the one I want, then I go buy another pack or I download, you know, off the rig manager and find what I'm looking for. Um, I think the, I think the assumption a lot of people make when they're getting the campers like, this amp I really like doesn't sound like this other amp that's based on it, and that's absolutely ridiculous. Like, so for example, um, I have profiles of the HXDA from PRS. The HXDA is a 1950 super, uh, 1959 Super Lead Plexi, the the model number, not the year. Um, it's a 68 and I think, I think one of them's like a 71. So it's got, you know, Dwayne Allman and Hendrix. That's what HXDA stands for, uh, stands for. Um, it was, they both use the same amp or something. Or no, they both use the same circuit, but like different style or whatever. And so it has a switchable thing to go from the Hendrix from mode. Hendrix to, the, to yeah. Dwayne Allman. Yeah. So the funny thing is I have, I have like 68 Plexi profiles as well. And they sound a lot alike, and and it, really the the distinction is like the cabinet number one, but but it's kind of like okay, so if I'm after that sound and I don't like the profiles of this amp and I need a sixty eight plexi sixty eight plexi sound, just go get another one. Like there's a million amps that are based on sixty eight plexis. That's not yeah. that's not a new thing, and you can get super specific. Like obviously Mesa Boogie makes unique amplifiers. The triple crown is not something you're going to find. Like everybody makes a copy of, um, but there's enough people making profiles. You got options. Uh, yeah. I have two sets of triple crown profiles. There's at least three others. So when you put it in perspective, like I'm going to find something I like, I might have to spend a little bit more money cause I keep buying packs, you know? Um, but they're out there. Um, yep. The other thing is you can move that tone stack, which is usually post-amp. Um, by default, when you profile an amp, it's post-amp. You can actually move it pre-amp. So you can kind of mimic the similar kind of effects of a tone stack prior to the amp. So like if you want to roll off your bass before the guitar hits the amp. There's two types of tone stacks in existence, right? Like there's pre-amp tone stack and then post-amp tone stack. It's not really pre-amp, post-amp. It's like pre-first pre, um, gain stage. And then like post first gain stage or post gain stage, which is basically like it acts more like an active EQ when it's post, but it's really not boosting anything. And then you can get into active EQs, which if you've ever played with an amp that has an active EQ, they're wild because the EQ is so versatile. You will be like lost if, if you're only a if you've only been a passive guy. So like Marshall is a perfect passive example, right? Once you get enough volume going, Marshall tone stack falls apart. What the Marshall tone stack is actually doing is it's controlling like the input of your guitar before it hits the first gain stage, which is why yep. at some point they don't mean anything because you've just saturated the gain stage no matter what. You know what I mean? Um, fenders are that way. I don't know if Marshalls are. I think I'm pretty sure Marshalls are pre as well. Um, but now I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking, no, that's probably not the case. Uh, I think they are post, but they're just ineffective. Um, but in like Fender amps, your bass, bass and treble controls are supposed to be prior to the first gain stage. Um, and so like, uh, in the, in the Mesa Mark V, um, and Mark series of amps, the preamp controls are 
pre. And the way you can tell this, if you turn them all to zero, no volume goes through. Um, so you open up your treble and it's basically like a treble. Con it's, it's basically controlling how much treble gets through to the first tube. That that's essentially how it works. And so, um, you can control the saturation by doing that. Cause if you think of each control as a gain control, like I want to saturate the mids, turn the mids up. Right. Makes sense. Um, and of course, then you got into your whole like acoustic science things where, uh, bass has more energy so it saturates more fast and like it can get woolly and nasty because it saturates faster and it saps your ability to saturate your uh treble and middle controls if you do that so you have to be you have to be sort of specific and understand how the amp is layered the other thing it plays into those kind of tone stacks is whether you know one control is feeding another you can kind of emulate that on the kemper by putting the the tone controls pre-amp but it's not going to be quite the same because you're not controlling that first level of saturation you're just it's like think of it like having a um a 10 band eq before the amp right uh everybody's familiar with the boss ge7 I'm, i i would assume at this point which is a little graphic eq pedal um it's like that and then of course when you have it post amp it's like that you have a boss ge7 after the amp except it's really only it's a bass middle treble presence tone stack instead of a seven band eq um so if you really are are anal about tone i mean that's why i see people still like either using amps or going to fractal or going to helix because they emulate the tone controls now it's subjective how well they do that of course but um they do do that right so i would argue that the helix doesn't do a tremendous job of it i think there's some, some definitely some shortcomings that i've noticed in the the way that their tone controls work on some of their models but um I would say that if you're really, really picky about your tone controls on an amplifier, don't get a Kemper because you're you're really going to have problems finding the right profile if you have some super specific things you do. It's like I know people that turn their bass off on every amp they plug into. And if you're doing that, I don't know how you're going to emulate that in the Kemper um, because that's like a super specific thing you can do. I you're going to have a hard time finding profiles that do exactly that. However, there is still a great right. If you're going to make your own, if you already have the amp or you have access to the amp, the Kemper's perfect tool for that. Cause then you can make a copy of all the crappy amps you want with the base world completely down and right. carry that around with you. You know, that's, that's really the strength of the Kemper is that I can do that. I can take this amp that essentially sounds like trash and I can have my trash. <laughs> whereas you can't do that with a helix like you can you can right. use line six's trash and you can trash it in the way that you are comfortable with but you can't take your trash with you it's somebody right. else's trash that you've made sound trashy <laughs> trash i'd like to say trash trash i live in a the trash, trash comes up a lot all right so there was one more there was one more question slightly inflammatory i think right yeah, I'm gonna leave that one out. No, no, no. I wanna. I wanna. No, come on. Come on it's not Jim. something you could answer anyway. Tim, do it. Um, He's talking about the aesthetics, right? Yeah. How much time was spent on aesthetics? Couldn't I, have been more than zero time at all. All right, all right. I'm not the designer of the amp. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like. Uh, I I actually like the aesthetic. I like of the Kemper. Thing, I like so the way it looks. Say, I'm not gonna say anything. I like the way it looks, but here's the funny part: people don't realize. So the Kemper... It's a very logical design. Yes, yes. This is what people don't understand. This is the input, right? Yeah. 
And if I how about that? If Left I'm using right. if I'm using the amp, I hold this down, and it brings up all the input settings on the display. So if you'll notice the way that the layout is, all of the settings are down here. You have system settings, which wrap around all of these settings, right? So if you start to think about the coloring on this, this is logical. This is laid out the way you would expect something to be. You have soft uh, soft knobs. So they're yep. all indicated on the bottom of the display when it's up, what they do. Um, you have pages, which this is the only thing I kind of don't like. So you can you yeah, can scroll pages. through more parameters using the pages button. Um, and there's an indicator on screen when there are more pages available, obviously. Um, so input, then you have your stomps. So these are your, your preamp effects, yep. your amp section, and then your post effects, post like effect. reverb and delay and all that stuff. And you can put stomps in the post, and you can put post in the stomps. So it's not right. like they're, you know, set in stone. Um, and then you have the output section, right? And that's it. Like, this is not a complicated design. I know people panic when they see it because it's like, oh, I've got these selector buttons and I've got undo and redo functionality, which all of that stuff you're going to use, you're going to use copy paste. You're going to use copy paste a lot in the Kemper because you're going to be like, why would I want to change the settings on that? I'll just copy it and then move it from one profile to another. It's easy. And it's, and, and everything is preset. So like, let's say I have a, a particular preamp setup that I like. I can hit this button, hold it, and I can store that, name it as a preset, and I can deploy it across other profiles. And if I put this thing in, in uh, performance mode, I have the setup to have like five different amps uh, for, for like, you know, chorus, bridge, intro, verse. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's mind boggling to me that it hadn't been done that way yet. And, and the best part about it is when you do the, uh, when you do the performance mode, so you got five profiles that you can deploy and then you can go in there and make it. They have a thing called morphing. So what morphing is, it's kind of their answer to snapshots. So you already have basically what is five snapshots, right? But you can change everything in those snapshots, including the amp model, which is wild because you can't do that in line six. Um, but then on, to on top of yeah. that, when you're in the, there's, a, there's, sure actually, there's actually a software limitation to that, um, which may also be a hardware limitation. And that's why there's actually a delay between switching presets on the, on the uh, uh, Helix. Line six. Because mm -hmm. the amp model takes up so much processing power on the existing chip that it actually has to load it through RAM, which is why it takes a second. This guy, it preloads all that. So that's why you can do five amps in a performance. It has enough to hold five models, basically. And so then what you do, use the morphing function. If you hit the if you hit the selector switch for that channel for that for that you know part of the pro or for the uh, performance, it'll actually change parameters on the effects that are on that patch. So like let's say I want to make my delay and reverb much bigger for this section of the song. Hit it. Now you got bigger delay and reverb. Yeah, and or, or oh. I want my gain control to, to, to go up, and it's not like it just instantly changes either. It actually morphs into it slowly, and I and that's actually a configurable option, like how yeah. long it takes, or you can use an expression pedal, so which means that you can you know you can go from clean to dirty if you want, uh, with an expression pedal and have everything else on the the device change, and because all of the um the effects almost all of them not all of them do, but most of them do have a uh, a mix knob that goes from zero to one hundred percent. You can turn things on and off 
enable everything, use the morph to fade him in. Which is uh, wildly useful. If you if you if you can't think of things that you would do with that, I promise you that if you play with this thing, you'll be like, how will I be able to go back to a conventional rig? Because you'll be like, those things are like invaluable. Um, it's it's wild that they've like introduced things that are not typically things that you can actually do, um, and made them so easy that you're like. I don't think I can use another device until they can emulate those same features. Okay. Now we're done with it? Yeah, I think we're ready to move on. I don't think there's anything <laughs> else to talk about. The, the aesthetic design, okay, so just to, just to answer the question, um, that's a totally subjective thing. Like, obviously, people don't like the fact that it doesn't look like an amp. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apposite something, and it's, it's going to be heresy, right? But I don't think amps look that good anyway. Like, in general, they're kind of utilitarian designs. This whole idea that, like, a conventional, like, a Marshall somehow looks cool. Dude, it's a box with a gold thing across it. And it's they're either black, white, silver, red, or purple. <laughs> it's if like... If you look at the functionality of it, we've got to fit X number of these into a box-shaped container. Okay, how are we going to do that? Well, let's shape them like little boxes, just like you would with a U-Haul. And that way you can stick them in the bigger box, which is your U-Haul type um, uh, truck or, uh, you know. If you can't stand the toaster, get the rack. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I mean, I mean, so, and you can also, the the, so Zilla Cabs makes a, a head shell they, for it. They, they make a head shell for it. I think it's the yeah. most ridiculous thing on earth. Why would you buy a head shell for something that's already provided to you? Um, yeah. But it's available if you want it. Like if you want to buy a bunch of crap for your Kemper, you don't need like I do all the time. You can get that. <laughs> yeah, there's a guy, Chris something brother, who makes all kinds of cool stuff for those. Um, he does it for Helix and he does You it mean Chad Kemper. Boston? Chad Boston, thank you. Chad. There are Boston. other there are other people too, um, yeah, but he does but, it. Yeah, he's got a little company that does these things. Yeah, he he um, sells things for a lot of money that cost very little money oh, to make. Yeah, but <laughs> hey, that's his that's his shtick, and people are buying it, so it must be cool. I don't know why not. not you know, the pet rock the pet rock costs nothing, and uh, it sold for a lot when I was a kid. Sure. All right, so I want to shift gears. Um, I'm going to shift gears twice. Um, so first shift of gears. Um, as we spoke about before the show, don't tell anybody about that. I'm not going to talk any, but I'm not going to give any specifics. I want to go into a generalization of it. So, um, right now I'm, I'm looking at something that, uh, I may purchase. Um, and it's a used item and there's a reason I'm not mentioning it is because I don't want anybody to buy it. So I am just going to say that Robert Jackson knows what it is. And the reason I mentioned Robert Jackson is because so I want to I want to talk about a little bit about when you're buying used gear, right? You I'm buying this item because it's nostalgic for me. And uh I said to Robert Jackson, I said, "Look, I want you to take the nostalgia factor away from me. I want you, to, <laughs> you and that's what you do. You get an objective person to come in, right? I want you just like you would with a car, just like you would with anything." You take a look at this. Tell me what you would offer this person, because if if that's where I I would go, and he told me straight up, he said I'd offer him what he what he's asking. So it's it's worth every penny of it. 
So now I'm sad because I was hoping that he would say, no, you're, you're letting nostalgia run away with you. It's worth half the price. <laughs> he didn't, <laughs> but at least I got, and I wanted to say that because I got that. Um, you got an accurate that, price estimate. You know what it's going right. to cost you. Right. And, and hopefully it'll be available in a couple of weeks and I can go get it. Yeah. I hope. Um, I could always give the guy money, but mm, I don't want to want to give the guy money. Man, and then say, not. Hey, yeah. Yeah. And then I don't buy it. And then I'll give him a post-dated check and be like, yeah, you can cash this when it's good and I'll come pick it up. Yeah. And I'll come get it. So, uh, okay. Shifting gears real fast again. So I, that was just a piece of recommendation for me to the people who may be looking to buy stuff in the future that is you know that so <clears throat> now shifting gears again there's two pieces of gear um i shouldn't say two pieces two uh lines of gear that squat that uh fender has released recently and one is this squire paranormal series we haven't talked about it yet so there's six paranormal squires um Four of which, I, they're not my thing. I'm not an offset guy. And the offset Telecaster to me just looks like, hey, look, we put Tele pickups in a, in a Jazzmaster or a Mustang, one of the two. I'm just um, kind of bored with this. The Toronado doesn't look like anything. That well, I, the Toronado is a big deal because people have been wanting that guitar to return for a that, while. Yeah, but that's the Toronado. That's not an alternate universe thing. That is a Toronado. That's what it was. So it doesn't look any different. I'm not saying it's a bad guitar. I'm just I didn't saying, know these were alternate universe. I thought this was the Paranormal series. Paranormal. That's what they're called. Right. But that's not alternate universe. It's just paranormal. No, paranormal. Right. And then, uh, I'm sorry, did I say alternate universe after yeah. that? Yeah. Um, and then the Paranormal Supersonic just looks like hot garbage to me. I mean, I'm just... It looks like a tornado upside down to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's literally like what it is. Yeah. It's like the Paranormal... The tornadoes are okay. Let's here. Uh, let's make some left hand. Let's make some left-handed tornadoes, and then call it the. Well, at least and that then way. put a right-handed neck on it. Yeah, no, they put a left-handed. They put a left-handed neck on it. They actually put yeah. a left-handed. This is more ridiculous. So yeah. if you want a left-handed tornado, you have to buy the paranormal supersonic and use an upside-down vibrato. I was gonna say, just get an upside-down vibrato. Use the supersonic. You're done. So um, then uh, there's a cyclone. That's the other one that uh, it it's kind of it's got a, um what is that the duosonic look to it? Um, it actually was of, yeah. So the cyclone was popular around the same time as the tornado. Yeah, Jazzmaster s controls. Yeah, definitely. Again, not not really paranormal to me. Just they've done it before, and it's cool. It's got a coolness factor. These stuff. guitars are real popular with like a certain set of people, and. I, they have a nostalgia factor, Jim. So like yeah. with my generation. So I grew up and these guitars were a thing. You could find oh, there them. You go. And um, I knew people, I know somebody in particular um, who listens to the show off and on, who's a big fan of the, uh, the Tornado. Um, he used to own one, used to gig with uh -huh. one. Um, and I could never get into those guitars. I like the way they look. I actually like the way offsets yeah. look, but I've yeah. never found one that I felt like actually fit me as a player. Yeah, me too. But That's these are my... but these are parts grab bag guitars. 
Like, yeah. I hadn't even seen this series until you brought it up, Jim. I'm glad I, I'm actually gra- glad you brought this up. These are parts. Um, these are again. I have extra strat or extra strat next and extra telly next, and we'll just throw them on an offset body and sell them. Yeah. Um, it looks to me like the uh, the paranormal offset Telecaster is a Telecaster version of the Tornado. I, I think that's I like that cool. design better when it comes from Reverend. Yeah. Yeah, and well, that's just it. Reverend's been doing this and doing it well for a yeah. while. Yeah, so actually, I want to point and, out something. So my, my comment a second ago, I want to I want to make a correction. I said this is like they're taking these guitars and parts and then putting them together like Lego bricks and reselling them. It's I'm not I don't mean that they have extra necks laying around. I mean that that's the design philosophy here. Like, oh, well, we could make a new guitar by just taking this neck and putting it on this body. Look, people crucified Gibson for coming out with a new design in that Gibson Modern or whatever the, you know what I'm talking about, the the, the new one yeah. they came out with a couple of years ago and people are like, oh, it looks like a PRS. Um, but they did something different. Yeah. This is literally the company just saying, well, we make Lego bricks anyway. Yeah. Um, And I, I, I actually feel kind of insulted when a company does this because, yeah, okay, so some people want to buy a pre-modded guitar, but if you're the modders guitar company, just sell the parts. Like, let people mod their own. Just sell the parts. Like, Lego figured it out. They opened the Lego store. You can go in there and you can buy a bucket of bricks. Or you can buy a bag of the specific stuff you want. Uh, Fender, get a clue. Yep. So, now, of all these guitars that they did put out, the two that interest me... And one that interests me the most, and you probably have to jump on it fast, because when they put these out before, um, they didn't last long. Um, so I'll mention the one, and then I'll mention the one that I, I'm thinking I'm going to have to jump on as soon as they start showing up. Um, the Cabernet, the Paranormal Cabernita Telecaster Thin Line. That one's kind of cool. P90s in the in the Thin Line Telecaster. That one's kind of got a coolness vibe, but the one that really struck me, and I'm like, that one's probably got to have to be jumped on because for some reason, these Squire baritones they go out like that. Yeah, because that everybody baritone. wants a baritone guitar, and it, like Squire is the perfect place to do it because nobody wants to commit to spending like a thousand bucks for for a good baritone, so they buy the yep. Squire equivalent, which is like you know the budget baritone, right? Which it's, is another funny thing because the first baritone I can remember Fender doing was that Telecaster, uh, so like the that's what this Swamp is. Thing Telecaster or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that guitar came out. I played it one time. I saw it one time. They discontinued it like almost immediately, and it. I've been told it didn't take off, but that thing's got cult status because I know people that's who are like looking though. for them all the time. That's just it though. For that one or two songs, you want to, you want a. Uh, baritone to play that it makes perfect sense to have a budget guitar you can drag out to play the that couple of songs with the baritone for 400 bucks it's worth it that's what i'm saying for 400 dollars, these are gonna fly uh, fly out yeah i think so too they'll be gone fast i i anything honestly, strat or telly they do is is always a, a hit anyway yeah, so, the paranormal gonna are gonna fly out. They're they're the coolness factor. We usually go ah when these when weird it's not for out. me, but obviously there's a market for this because yeah. they keep doing it. You know. Yeah, these um, things these things 
All except for the supersonic one. That one just looks kind of. Yeah. But to me, this is going to be a hot, hot, hot um, thing. If you can find one, get it. I wonder okay. if the supersonic is supposed to be like, kind of like, kind of like the um, the Jags thing kind of look. Yeah. Because because well, they really don't want to reissue the Jags thing. Like that's been a whole thing. Yeah. Um, that's a guitar that goes for way more than it did new. Um, used. Oh, yeah. Well, and, there's a reason. Well, yeah, because they're selling the Kurt Cobain Jaguar for twelve hundred bucks. Exactly. For um, for what is mostly a Mexican-made guitar. Yeah, um, for more or less Mexican-made. You know, that's a whole other conversation. Um, the country of origin thing, but uh, yeah, I mean, Squire, like this is this is good stuff. They're 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 taking note of what people are looking for, I guess. They did. Um, they did. I think that these are going to sell well. And I, like I said, I hope they make a lot of these these baritones because I'm in. I'm in. I'd be interested. In it. I'd, I'd like to play a Tornado again just to see what it's like. I don't really yeah. think that I don't really think that Fenders lend, them, lend themselves very well to a four-tone control arrangement. Um, that's, and yeah, that's the only thing. I'm not a huge and fan of... That's why I of, do like the, uh, the Cabronita Telecaster thin line because it's not trying to do the Chris Shiflet four-tone you know, four volume, four tone, or two volume, two tone thing, four controls. I'm emoting right now. Yeah. Anyone who's played Fenders from the '90s, and you played their humbuckers in the '90s, yeah, you know they were awful. Um, yeah, but you were... can replace these with with P90. You can get yourself. A no, 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 no. Oh, that's oh. not what I'm saying. I think. Everybody who looks at these, you know, is okay with it being a humbucker, um, but their humbuckers were bad, right? So, like, there was a time period when Fender was doing a lot of Seymour Duncan humbuckers in their guitars, and that was because yep. the Fender standard humbucker was junk. Um, yeah. These have what they call the Squire Atomic humbucking pickups, and the funny part is the original pickups that were in these guitars were the Atomic humbuckers, <laughs> and they were bad. They were delightfully terrible. Well, the um, the, uh, the two um, Telecasters are a P90 type thing. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm talking about the uh, the yeah. I'm talking about the um. You're talking about the Tornado. The Tornado, and because that would be the one I would be most interested in. Supersonic. Yeah. I you know what? I hope that these are better than the than the uh, supersonic humbuckers of old. And this is funny because we talked about this the other day or whatever a couple episodes ago when we were talking about the lead two. When they announced the uh, the re-release of the lead two back in January or whatever it was, and how hilarious it was that they reissued the lead two because those guitars were not good. Like people didn't right. like those things, no. and then they and re-released them, and like everybody wants one now. Yeah, um, and it's that nostalgia factor, I think. Well, nostalgia, and I think also like a lot of people saw them hanging in pawn shops and stuff, and they're like, I don't have the money for that, but I can buy a new one for like you know X, what, whatever. Um, and again, those didn't have great pickups in them and, you know, it's like a whole thing, but Hey, if you really want one, Fender's going to offer it to you now. Um, I want to see Fender do something new though. Like I want to see Fender take a shot at Ibanez or, you know, uh, make a, make a, a Les Paul like guitar, you know, with like a set neck. And I want to see him do something different because we've seen him do the parts guitars. Like that's, it's done and over with. Um, so the, uh, um, the tellies that, that at least the two tellies are using the Fender designed Alnico soap bar single coil. 
So basically P90. A, yeah, it's their P90. Yeah, because I can't say P90. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm interested. I'm in. I'm in for the baritone. I, I, I think uh, I'll probably pick one of those up. Yeah, I'd like to see him start doing a, a, a seven string again. That would be interesting because they've done it before. Uh, yeah, Gibson and Fender have done it. I'd like to see them kind of go back to that thing. The thing about the seven strings for them, and I don't, you know, we I think can't it makes. Say this. I actually think it makes less sense for Gibson, but for, for yeah. Fender, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, hasn't been their biggest sellers. No. No, and I wouldn't expect them to do more than one model. Yeah, that's what I would do. I would do like a tele type thing with a seven string or maybe a yeah. strap thing. Or like, yeah, because they did the Showmaster, which was a Squire, yeah. right? And I think they also did yeah. a custom shop version of the Showmaster as well. And they were just a flat top like Strat guitar with like a arm contour and seven strings. And a full, yeah. I think they had it's Floyd on them. Um, just a simple like seven string guitar aiming at metal players. And yeah. see what happens. Or do a heavy metal strat with a seventh string, right? Like that yeah, would be Yeah, the HM strat, yeah. I'd buy one. Yeah, uh I would be I, Fender, if you do this, I promise you I will buy one. Um I think I think that would be you already a sold killer me guitar. the carbonita yeah, the, the carbonita baritone. <laughs> they um, probably don't need to sell me one. They'll probably be gone before it gets Yeah, this. they're not they're not selling you a seven string. Um Yeah, I think I think we we've covered this one. I I don't think there's anything else we're more talk about. I did want to I did want to I want to make a lofty prediction about something. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> I had one. I had one more. But go ahead. Okay, we'll, we'll go back to that. Finish, finish yours. I I can remember my lofty prediction. All right. So this this the other thing that Fender has come out with is a new set of pedals. It's three pedals in this MTG series. Um, we've got the MTG Tube Tremolo, the MTG tube distortion pedal and then the mtg la tube distortion uh these are three distortion pedals uh, or two distortion pedals and a tremolo pedal ah two hundred dollars 199.99 now usually i would say this might be overpriced but honestly I'm going to make a prediction on these. I think they're going to be popular. I think they're going to do well. And that's only because the $200 distortion pedal is no longer expensive. And if what they're doing is they're they're saying, okay, you know what? We've got these tube distortion pedals um, that you can put in front of your, uh, your non-distortion famous fenders like uh like the um twin or the deluxe or the um, uh, yeah what's the little one the pro the pro junior and the junior and and the other one the pro or whatever it's called i all right so here's here's my issue with fender making making drive pedals and somehow them all being successful and um, I'm going to I'm going to pause at something that's going to going to probably shock people. Um, I think Fender, the only company that Fender's selling pedal or the only people that Fender, Fender's target market for pedals are people who don't know any better at this point. I'm not saying their pedal line sucks. I'm saying that they're entering a very crowded marketplace by a lot of mom and pops who have a lot more exclusivity and a lot more street cred 
and trying to make a go of it. And they have a lot of financial backing. I wouldn't be surprised if they they haven't not they have not yet turned a profit with their pedal division. Um, with these two pedals, I have a feeling they're going to be targeting a higher price point. Like you said, I haven't looked at pricing on them. Um, and I have a feeling that this is being done as kind of a shot across the bow of like, look what we can do um, towards what some of the other companies can't do at this point, which is design a tube circuit that's quality. Um, uh, that being said, if you had to ask me if I should buy one of these Fender tube sound distortion devices and give up my King of Tone or give up my, um, well, I guess I don't have anything else on here that's like not super boutique but uh or my kingmaker or my you know angry driver or whatever other distortion unit i can get for you know 200 bucks like i'm gonna laugh at you and be like no i don't care if it's true or not before you go too far i'm gonna give you uh, one little thing that you should know about him bruce eggnator was behind the design absolutely not no way in hell would I buy these. No way in hell. So, I, you know, Bruce wants to come on the show and set the record straight. I'm, I'm more than willing to do that. I've had it out with Bruce in a couple of Facebook groups at this point. Yeah, um, I know. I think, I think Bruce, Bruce, and I think I've talked about it on the show. I think Bruce is a good guy. I think Bruce has had a really tough time getting his products to market. And he will design consult for anybody um, because he wants to make licensing money. That's been a, a, a great way for him to make income. But if you've played his amps, his amps are not great. They're okay. Um, and I think they actually sort of have a reputation for breaking down and not being that wonderful, which is why they're not super popular, why that whole thing didn't take off. Um, the other thing is he makes the module system, right? That's licensed through Synergy. Synergy is expensive. Um, it's woefully expensive when you think about what it costs. And actually the majority of the cost of the modules that I would suspect is the licensing fees, um, from people like Friedman and, uh, Morgan amplification. Cause, because realistically, what are we talking about in terms of parts for a preamp? We're talking tube sockets, 15 bucks. We're talking 12 X seven tubes, usually two, um, you know, 20 bucks there, 30 bucks there. Um, and then, you know, $5 worth of components, um, you know, when you're talking about that, you're talking about a $50 item that they mark up and it's like $400 for a module. Um, so for him to go and do the fender tube, uh, effects, they're actually not that expensive. So like the, I don't know if that's actually, so what, what are they, what are they calling these? It, they're calling them the MTG. MTG. Okay. And, uh, they're 200 MTG. bucks even. Yeah. And he's putting in a NAS 6205 preamp. So I would, I, I'd have to see the circuit before I could make this adjudication. But this has been a problem with preamp tubes before in pedals, which is that if you don't run them at the proper voltage, you're not going to get the effect you're looking for anyway, um, which is something we talked about um, with uh, uh, Thomas Plug, And he was very upfront with, yeah, we are running it at lower voltage, but we're running it enough that it has an impact. Um, and the, the lower voltage is to actually increase tube life and not, so there was like a whole, like a whole part of the conversation was that like, it's there for a purpose. And we actually spec'd it out for that purpose to run at this voltage. So it would last longer. Um, right. 6205. I don't know anything about, uh, I know it's a surplus tube. You can get them. They're not using a lot of stuff. So they're actually not terribly expensive. Um, I don't know. 
Uh, yeah, so I want to like these things, but they look big. Like that's another they, that's another factor that's going to damage their credibility in the marketplace is the size. Well, of these they've so if you look at the marine layer and the um, the other ones that they've put out so far, they're all pretty much this standard size. They've pretty much come up with a size and said, okay, this is what we're yeah, going to do. Yeah, it's, that's their chassis, right? Like they have a machine yeah. probably that they own that makes these, and then they right. put the boards in them and they and they powder coat them or, or uh, laser etch them or whatever it is they do to get the color. Yeah, because they've got the... They look cool in person. I mean, I'll give you that. Yeah, they do. And the, and uh, I got to give, you know, I got to give Fender credit. The, the marine layer is really nice. Um, there are several other boxes that are actually really good sounding. I'm just saying, like, from the perspective of coming into a marketplace where you're not the cool kid on the block in the pedal community. You're not. Right. And you're going to really right. have to scratch and claw to get there. Do you remember when Gibson started doing tube amps again? In the, yeah. in the early 2000s? Yeah. Oh, it, it, they just got their clock cleaned because yeah. they walked into a world that they didn't understand. Um, yeah, they hadn't been there in too long. Well, I think that was, they, you know, old management, the way they thought about things. Everybody wants vintage yeah. tube amps. They reissued some of their vintage style designs, right? Instead of looking forward and saying, we really need to have something that's, you know, that fills a modern hole in the line first. Then we can do the vintage line, um, but they just they didn't do that, which is funny because they went the complete opposite way with the with the modern guitar that they designed, um, that right. piece of trash, uh, the Firebird X, which I don't even understand why they called it the Firebird. I mean, it didn't really even look like a Firebird, but anyway, it didn't look like anything. Yeah, look like a turd. Um, <laughs> The fire it actually did X. too. Like you think about it more, like yeah, the fire turd X. Like you think about it more, it it does look like something that came from someone's rectum. I mean, it does. Yeah. Yeah. It's disgusting, but it does. Um, nah, dude. Like I, maybe they'll make a go of these. I, I maybe they you know, might. they might. You do have a well, who is a tube amp legend behind it. I would assume yep. he knows is enough to know that you got to give him proper, you know, proper gain staging and all that to make the the tube work properly. Uh, yep. I think the just I think the boxes look cool. I think they're a little big. Um, I wonder, do they have like a direct out or anything like any feature like that? That's no. No, and I was I was kind of surprised the, because their their acoustic one, their acoustic overdrive pedal uh -huh. does have an onboard cab sim. So they did do where this kind of becomes your DI and you can, you know, give it a little drive and turn the drive off and well, so on and so forth. You, you know, and we've talked about this on the show before, Jim. I, I, I and I have friends who do use fenders to, to, you know, as a pedal platform. I think fender amps make terrible pedal platforms. Um, and that's just because I think that they, the way that they clip and the way that if you run drive into them, you get a lot of, a lot of, um, I don't say sizzle, but like their rip, you know, the, the thing I was complaining about the V30, the ripped paper sound um, yep. at, at lower volumes. And you really want to keep that headroom. So it's always been difficult for me to manage, like, where do I set the volume? Where do I push my pedal through it? And I suppose if I'd lived with it and gigged with it, I probably would have kept my Princeton because I probably would have figured it out eventually. But I could not play it in my condo. It was way too loud for me to run pedals through it. It sounded like garbage. Like you had to run it at a decent clip to get good sounds out of it with pedals. So um, that's, you know, and that's 
that's my unique hang up. I've had that problem consistently, so it's not like a knock against them. I do like their amps. Um, I do think their amps are a bit harsher than some of the boutique stuff that you can get that's based off their designs, but I think that's because of Rojas compliancy. I think it's because of part selection. I think it's because of, you know, board design and um, some other things that they're impacting that. So it's, they're good for what they are. And they're not they're not expensive. I mean, even the Lux Reverb now is what, like eleven hundred? It's not not terrible. Yeah. I you'd be hard pressed to find that kind of an amp design in the boutique world for anything close to eleven hundred. I mean eleven hundred you're talking about a five watt like Doctor Z or something like that. So Yeah, it um, works for me. That's for damn sure. So there was something you wanted to say about uh you were gonna make it a, a prediction. Uh, yeah, I am going to make a prediction. But before we do that, I want to let everybody know we're about an hour and 20 minutes into the episode. Um, I can give you the correct count on that here in just a moment. We are about an hour and 24 minutes into the episode. So we got time for a topic or two left. Um, just kind of touching base on something that we talked about for Winter Nam. Uh, obviously, before Winter Nam, Ibanez came out with their headless bass. Um, the Doolahan, I think it's the Doolahan, is the uh, the Harley Benton model, the headless model. Um, I think they shipped the first run. Now they've been making some modifications to the design. Um, this is a thing with Harley Benton and Toman. They they like to manipulate things at the last minute, and so they're like, oh yeah, now we're gonna do a run with you know Flame Maple, and if you want to buy into this, it's an extra fifty bucks or whatever. Um, they're doing something similar to that right now. One of our uh, one of our show listeners is actually looking to get one Patreon supporter um, and and guest of the show uh, Jason Fuzzmonger. Um, he's looking at getting one. I think he's actually already ordered one, and he was trying to decide whether he wanted to whether he wanted to move up. Um, if you don't know the story behind the Dullhan or whatever, um, Kiesel found out about it early on. Somebody tipped him off in his group. He threatened to sue. Um, and I've watched these guitars kind of slowly climb in price. And I wonder if that's because there's a lawsuit going on. Um, it's been suggested by some people I know that Strandberg may also be suing them because the hardware on these guitars is like identical to Strandberg hardware, allegedly. And that, um, they had some sort of patent on the, on the hardware or something. And then, of course, they're producing these guitars at Cortec, right? The Strandberg guitars. And they, now there's kind of a question is, is Cortec making the hardware for Strandberg? Or is Cortec farming it out? And if they're farming it out in China, that would explain how this ended up on the Harley Bentons because they're made by the same factories in, Harley, in, in China that are also producing the chipsons and stuff at night. And so... Um, we know uh, Bad Cat Guitars was producing a headless guitar that looks an awful lot like a Strandberg using hardware that was very similar to a Strandberg. Um, so it wouldn't, surpri- it wouldn't surprise me if they're not adding features to the guitars and upping the prices more than the features added cost to cover their legal fees to, to fight this thing in court, which is what I'm thinking might be actually happening. But but um, that's that's an aside. So we know the market is ready for an inexpensive headless guitar. Ibanez right now is the only one holding the pieces that could actually accomplish this. They've had a head- successful headless bass line. Like a lot of people like them. Um, I'm seeing them around in places on the internet. And I'm uh, also talking to local stores. And they've had a couple orders come through. Uh, it is, it's a pretty popular guitar. Um, and... Of course, when we said, oh, look, there's a headless bass. Where's the headless guitar? 
Winternam was the Pia. Okay. And I'm kind of wondering, it's either going to be Summer Nam, which there isn't a Summer Nam this year, right? So it's going to be around this time, between now and August. It'll be next week. Between yeah. now and August, right? Because some companies I'm already hearing are spreading out their stuff so that their launches don't coincide with everybody else's launches, which kind of makes yeah. sense. And actually, if you think about it, this is this is even better for them because tax refunds. Since taxes were delayed until July this year, refunds can come in whenever, right? And so that yep. means that people have some tax money right now. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised. Not me. I paid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of people do. So that's not uh, totally like the norm. But, but you know what? They do see a boost from that. So anyway, um, I think July, August, Ivan has announced this to the headlesses. And they're going to be headless guitars, kind of in the vein of Strandberg, somewhere between Strandberg and Kiesel. Ivan in style designs. You might see an RG and you might see an S. I think it's more likely you see a headless S um, because that kind of fits the aesthetic more. You know, or, or if they take the base design, they, they shorten the horn, they carve out the bottom a little bit, and they make it look like a, like a guitar design, right? Um, nevertheless, I think we're going to see them. I think we're going to see them July, August, or we're going to see them at Winter Nam this year. I don't think those are far behind. I think they got to strike while the, while the iron's hot. Headless guitars go in and out of fashion like every 10, 15 years. So if they really want to make some money on this, they got to do it now. Um, and Ibanez does not have a hotline right now. Um, according to local retailers I've spoken with, and there's been more than one, Ibanez has not been selling real well the last couple of years. The last big product line launch they had was the um, Iron Label, um, which was huge. Uh a lot of people bought iron labels like right off the bat and then it just went and there was nothing left. So it'll be interesting to see what they do, but I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them drop, you know, a headless guitar here in the next couple of weeks. That's my prediction. They've already, they've already um, tanked the Jiva. Really? Yep. They've already said it's not available. Really? That's right on on their website. That is shocking well, I'm sure to that me. There are some in stock in places around. Is the Jiva oh, going to be headless? They've already gotten rid is of that. The why? Yeah. Is that why line. though? Is I that, don't know. Is they've they've introduced headless? the Jiva X and the Jiva Junior. Right, which I knew about the Jiva Junior, which that sort of makes sense, right? Yeah, that uh, was to bring in the cheaper version. I guess the Jiva X is the. Is the new Jiva 10? Yeah. What it looks like. Yeah. I would not be surprised to find out that the new new standard Jiva is a headless. And it's an S series. Because I said that. Like, that may be a thing. Like, she may have kind of prompted them. Like, I've got a Strandberg and I don't play it on stage because I have an Ibanez endorsement. But... Yeah. Um, That's a possibility. Because... They've already, like I said, they've already replaced the Jiva 10 with the Jiva X. So that's going to have to be um, something that... She better get a new album out soon. Um, yeah. Because I think, I think her popularity is kind of starting to wane in terms of, uh, you know, her own, like, touring her own music and whatever. Um, but I think I think we're, it's more than likely you're going to see... They're going to do it for sure. I wouldn't be surprised if Schechter doesn't do headless basses and guitars at the same time. 
Um, ESPLTD, they need to hit. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they're not waiting in the wings, you know, with something. Uh, and and if ESPLTD does it, I think you're going to see three three price points. I think you're going to see a seven hundred to seven hundred to a thousand dollars. I think you're going to see thousand to you know two thousand dollars, and I think you're going to see a high end USA one for three thousand plus. Um, if Schechter does it, I think you're looking at a thousand dollars entry level, and I think a premium model at three thousand. I think the same thing with um, Ibanez. You're going to see a premium level guitar for about seven hundred to a thousand, um, with you know similar appointments. And then you're going to have the Prestige model, which will be like $2,500 to distinguish it from the AZ line, but also to make sure that, you know, it's got specialized hardware and stuff on it. It's going to cost more. The only thing that terrifies me about buying an Ibanez headless is, you know, all of the hardware is going to be totally custom and it's going to be an arm and a leg for replacement value. It's going to be insane. Your bridge on, on an Ibanez is going to be like a $200 bridge. You know, for for like a basic bridge, <laughs> um, that's just how Ibanez rolls. Uh, I don't even think they went to the Goto five ten, and it doesn't have parts congruency or something. Like they want you to use Ibanez parts on their on their version of the Goto five ten for the AZ line. So that's a whole other um, can of worms. But uh, this has been a really gear centric podcast tonight. Um, yeah, I hope you like gear. Um, so actually, I want to end this. I want to end this with uh, with a uh, an interesting discussion, and I want to I want to talk about price points, and I want to talk about like I really want to delve into like beginner price point versus like intermediate price point. I'm not really concerned about high end because I think high end is like a huge category. Um, I think wh- where do you think high end begins, and then we'll kind of work backwards because I because I think it where begins I think around. High end begins? I think it's around two grand. Myself. For guitars, yeah, I. Well, the problem is that that there are people who think high end starts at fifteen hundred. No, and this is a totally subjective topic. I'm actually looking for people to send us hate mail and comment in the and, uh, yeah in and, the but, the YouTube comments in the Facebook group. <laughs> for me, I, I guess if I was to say that high end started at two grand, then there's almost no such thing as a as a other than a high. I say a high end. Um, a more rarely uh, sought after Fender. There's nothing in the Fender category over two grand. I mean, the, the ultras are under two grand. I don't think um, Fender no. may no. The Fender does have stuff over two grand. It's custom shop. Well, yeah, but it's custom shop stuff. And That's my point. Yeah, Fender's high end is custom shop because their custom shop until you get to about five thousand dollars is not made to order. Right, it's production no. line. No, it's production custom shop stuff. Which is hilarious because it's not really custom shop. It's production made by a small group of people. Right. But I mean, like they release the ultras in a special color. Then it's over $2,000. Otherwise, it's on two grand. Yeah. Uh, Something like that. Um, Ibanez, I would say anything over $1,500. Again, for Fender, I would say anything over $1,500. You get out of the... uh, the second tier of American. Yeah, into I think the I think average. I think average between fifteen hundred and two thousand is where you're going to get into high end stuff. Like you're going to start yeah, getting into the premium you're, features. You're talking, depending on the yeah, depending on the company, fifteen hundred to two thousand um, is your high end stuff. Um, so like like for example, PRS, anything core yeah. like S two is their 
working guy guitar, right? Like right. that's what right. what S- and that's under that's fifteen hundred dollars. That's just under fifteen hundred dollars. S two? No, they're about they're about between a thousand and fifteen hundred. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're oh, okay. under Yeah, yeah, they're they're between a thousand and fifteen hundred. And then of course your high end stuff is three grand. CEs oh, yeah. are kind of in between. The CEs are. I in would that consider. 90, the, I would consider those high end, but um. Yeah, they're in that 1999 category. The the uh, what's that company? Or I mean, that company. Uh, uh, the John Mayer is just over two grand. I mean, yeah, it's, not, it's high end, but it's not out of reach expensive for your average um, uh, Joe that's got a little bit of expendable cash. And or yeah, they got a high credit limit. Into, you know. Yeah, getting their first high-end guitar or it's not only high-end guitar but it is i mean even the even the, the sg i'm pointing at my sg for those who can't see me um my sg is uh not considered high-end by some people because it's under two grand yeah so that's exactly what i'm getting at um so let's say let's say high-end on average is 1750 right um Let's say, I want to say, and this is where this is where I get into disputes with people. So, like, what's the purpose of intermediate? So, like, in between, I would say you have your entry level stuff, which I think goes all the way up to, and this is going to freak some people out. Five hundred dollars for entry level now. I would I would put it up more now. Yeah, I was about to say those those um, fenders we talked about earlier tonight. Those are four hundred. Yeah, those are four hundred dollars. They're, they're, I think they're all 400 But they don't consider those entry-level. Fender doesn't consider those entry-level. They don't. Yeah, one three fifty. Fender's idea of entry-level ends at affinity. Yeah, and see, for me, I don't think those are... Uh, those are... I mean, I suppose you could call them entry-level. I um, would consider them entry-level. The bullets are... Stri- you know, the, the bullets are pack guitars, right? I mean, and then the next step up is the affinity. And then the affinity is like for the guy that's got a little bit more money, you know, sort of like, you know, I'm going to learn guitar and like, I'm going to stick with it. So I'll get the affinity and I'll, get, that a, I'll get a real that one's, um Let me see. Let me make sure. But I'm pretty sure the affinity. About 200 bucks. Is, 200. Yeah. Over 200 now. Yeah. Yeah. Over 200. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like to get that's, to, to, to be me, a, that's an entry level guitar. We've done this on the show before. We've had this conversation about like when you start guitar, like what should be p- paying for whatever. And I think we said 500 was like, you want to be under 500, but you don't want to be over 500 because you're going to be spending more money than you know what, than you know what you want at this point. Um, And I still stick by that, but I would say like, I could definitely see people getting into guitar right now and dropping a thousand dollars on a guitar and amp right up front or, or 500 bucks on the guitar and and $200 on the amp, you know, like in a Marshall, whatever, small, small combo thing. you can get to what use DSL for five hundred. You can get into a Fender. Uh, what's the what's the the Pro Junior or the Junior uh, for five hundred dollars, um, give or take. It, it, in the used, we're talking used market now. Um, yeah, well, I mean, so, so yeah, that's a, assuming they want a tube amp. Like right, they can buy a, a Katana for three hundred fifty bucks. You know, it's like right. Um, right. you can get a the Katana two for three hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, so. That's that's kind of what I'm thinking is like okay so you go to you go to the guitar store for the first time and they're like you know you I need my first guitar and like I've never played before and like what would you recommend and then they show you an Affinity, Tele or Strat 
and they say, you know, do you like the Strat or the Tele better? And you say, I like the Strat. Or they show you an Epiphone, which Epiphone's lines are, are under 500, basically. Um, yep. They've got several guitars available to you. An SG, a Les Paul, you know, the basic stuff. They, they even have 335s that are around 500 bucks. Yeah. Um, and you pick one out, and then they say, okay, so you need to get an amplifier and a cable uh, and a strap, and they're going to take you through all those pieces, and you could be out of the store for around $800 pretty easily. I can, I can tell you right now. So I'll have a customer come in, and it's hard to get a customer in and out the door in, say, an entry-level acoustic under $300. Three or four hundred dollars, and I'm talking about just the only thing I'm selling them. That's not trying to like, oh, you should buy the protection plan. You should buy this. I'm talking about the guitar strap and a bag, and possibly a yeah, tuner. Dude, bags aren't twenty bucks anymore. Like I can no. remember buying bags that were really nice for like twenty five bucks when I bought a guitar, and thinking that's outrageous. And now no. it's like. Dude, 80. like your your entry level bag is like fifty bucks. Oh yeah, and it's basically just nylon with a zipper. You know, like no padding. Eighty dollars. If you want any padding at all, you're at eighty dollars. Yep, you're at eighty dollars. I don't care where you are. You're probably paying tax. So you're about eighty dollars. Now, if you buy a two hundred dollar guitar, an eighty dollar bag, because you want some padding, because you know, good gosh darn well, you're too cheap to buy the protection plan, right? So you buy the you should buy the protected bag then. Um, so if you get out of there, um, so now you're at 280. Like I said, you're already at 280. You haven't bought a strap and you haven't bought picks. You haven't bought strings if you want a set of strings on there. Um, and you haven't bought um uh you know anything else, uh a tuner. Um now I, it's not I a tuner. recommend I recommend if you want to go inexpensive, use your phone. Most of us have a smartphone. Use your smartphone. Get the Fender or the Ibanez, um, you know, tuner app. It's just as good. Um, but if you want a if you want a headstock tuner, you're probably you're out twenty to thirty dollars. Unless you get a snark. And yeah, well, that's twenty bucks. Oh, I thought they were like five bucks. No, <laughs> you haven't bought a snark in a while. I don't buy snarks. <laughs> They're junk, in my opinion. But. Um, but if you buy the the um, the the ones that are five dollars, I don't think Snark makes them anymore. But the ones that are five dollars that you can find the no, they're the they're twelve bucks. Yeah, the tuners that are that are uh, five dollars are total garbage. Yeah, they're twelve bucks. Um, yeah. Actually, I would, and this, this is why I don't run a music store because I would stock the Peterson Strobo clip, and I would tell people when you're buying your first guitar, spend more money on a tuner because it will it will make your life that much better. I have, yeah, I have a Peterson Strobe clip. I don't use it at home, believe it or not. I really? just use these. Yeah, I use these. I use the strobe the mover. I use the strobe mode on my Kemper down here. Yeah, the yeah, yeah the strobe mode on my TU2, but I um I use these when I'm just sitting. Yeah, the snark. Um, or the the tuner in my uh, um, I have a Diderio tuner that's in the sound hole of my acoustic, um, and then I have a um the the Peterson stays in the gig bag. So that I know where it is, and I don't forget it for a gig. Nah, I got um, the T. I got the TU three. <laughs> well, the TU two has, a... or the TU three. I'm sorry, has strobe mode. So, yeah. and the TU two did too. Those who have TU twos, you do have strobe mode. Um, 
I don't so, know anybody that actually uses it, but <laughs> yeah. If you went out to buy, let's say you were going out to buy the uh, for your first guitar, you said I'm going to get a Paranormal, which is not an expensive guitar. Four hundred bucks. You're, you're guitar, an entry, right? according to you so and let's I. Say you said, huh? According to you and I, that's entry level. Yeah. Let's say that's. A, I mean, that is an entry level guitar. That's a. That's a. Um, that's not a lot of money, but now. You don't get a gig bag. You don't get a case. So you're gonna have to buy a case. And if you're buying, let's say, let's say you don't get anything um, wacky shaped, you get the Cabernita thin line. Right. So if you get one of those wacky shapes, be prepared to spend some money on a case, guys. Hundred bucks minimum, minimum for a hard shell case. Yeah. Um, if you're going with a gig bag, you're still a hundred dollars. Um, if you're gonna get that baritone, be prepared to spend some extra money. Cause you're going to need some extra length. Um, Cause it, that three extra inches is too long for, you know, standard right guitar case. And, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Be prepared to spend $30 or more for a decent strap, right? You may or may not buy strap locks. You can use the old um, rubber washer trick. I don't see any reason for that. That were not working. I had one person that told me they can't use a rubber washer. I'm like, I'm surprised. Cause you could buy the jo the Joe Bonamassa signature rubber washers are only twenty bucks. Yeah, see, he's got one right there, <laughs> and it, and that's for like a set of twenty. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, and you can get them right on his site. Uh, anyway, the um, which is cheaper per washer than if you bought them from you know the Fender ones and the Ernie Ball ones, which are still only a few dollars for like a five dollar package for four. Um, but anyway, so. Um, You've got uh, you've got those. Then you're gonna go. So you're out five hundred dollars now, and you're out maybe thirty forty dollars for a strap. Um, and then you got to go buy an amp. And what are you gonna buy? You know, are you gonna get an entry level tube, or are you gonna? Buy... And here's the thing that that ticks me off. So a a, a person will come in. I'm not I'm not gonna say a guy, but a person will walk in the store and say, um, "Well, I want I'm gonna buy the the um, katana." Okay. Why are you buying the katana? I like to ask why you're buying the katana. I want to, I want to know. Well, it's got all these effects built in and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Okay. That's good. That's good. That's a good decision. And then they go, okay, so now what guitar effect pedal should I buy? Uh, none. None are the ones you should buy because you bought a katana and it's got the effects built in. There's a reason for that. It is not a good pedal platform. It's just not. And uh, I don't when know. I tell them I don't that know. I had good success with pedals. In fact, I like the pedals external more than I like well, the ones in it. You had the hundred watt katana. Yeah. So did I. That's. A, I'm talking about the fifty. Well, even the fifty, like it's just a I didn't power. Think it was that good. I think that the. Same I didn't think thing. it was that good. I don't think the fifty is yeah. that good. Period. But. Well, the fifty's got the cheaper speaker. And cheaper the... speaker, smaller cabinet. Yeah. Less features. Doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but for a starter, yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. That's your two fifty. That's your two hundred fifty dollar one, mm -hmm. right? So I mean, and I'm tr I'm trying to go re I'm trying to go entry level here. That's why when they ask me, I say, oh, "Well, you might want to step up to the hundred if you want to do that." Well, now I got to pay a hundred extra dollars for the guitar amp. Yeah, but you're going to get more features, and you're going to get a better, more full featured amplifier that will like better for the longer term. Um, I always love somebody who says I'm spending, you know, at this point you're out $700. Yeah. 
Yeah, the fifty actually right now is two hundred and thirty bucks. Is it two hundred thirty? There you go, two twenty nine. Yeah, so that seemed better. I don't um, know if so... that's because of the Gear Fest sale, but I'm on Sweetwater site looking. Oh, yeah. um, I was just yeah. on uh, Musicians Friend a minute ago. I put in, I typed in starter, and it brought up, I brought up the packs. So it's starter. Yeah, and it those, shows those you the packs. packs. I don't yeah. recommend them for anybody over the age of of ten. Um, I mean, I know people do it, but I just the starter packs are. It's not a good way to get started. It really isn't. No. Um, buy, spend a little bit more money on the guitar. You can compromise on the amp a little bit. Just plan on upgrading it eventually anyway. You're going to want to do that. This is something we've covered before. So, um, So yeah. I mean, I was throwing the 250 number out there because I couldn't remember exactly. But, okay, 229. So you're out 230 plus 400 for a guitar. Um, so you're out 630 plus um, the cost of uh, a strap and a thing. So you're, like I said, you're out $700 plus. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. All right. Retailer, right? You're working at yep. Guitar Center. Somebody comes in, you say, you know, you're looking for a Telecaster. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. really into, you know, um, I don't know, some 70s guitar player who had a 50s Tele, right? And yeah. uh, you're like, okay, this is the Tele for you. You pull out Classic Vibe, um, yeah. which are what, 350-ish, yeah. right? 350, 400. Um, and they're like, wow, that's really more than I was looking to spend. Do you get that? I mean, do you get that a lot? Yep, I get that a lot. And that's really what I'm honing in on this, right? Is this like shock factor? Oh my god! And by the way, the the classic vibe um, have gone up to four. Yeah, that's why I thought I thought they'd gone up. That's why I said three fifty. Um, yeah. So this is the shock factor I'm talking about. So imagine you're a guitar player that bought a guitar in 2006. You've been playing your starter guitar for seven or eight years. You got serious about it recently, and you've been playing a lot during COVID-19. You come out, you go to the guitar store, you say, I'm ready to get my intermediate guitar, and you know what you want. You've already got your idea, and then you look, and you realize, oh, my gosh, it's like $900 for my intermediate guitar. Yep. Could you imagine the panic? Like, we've had people in the group lambaste me because, um, and I'm not— I'm not looking to start fights or pick fights. I'm just pointing. I'm just pointing this out. Um, there's nothing wrong with playing a beginner guitar on stage. Like I've done it. I'm sure everybody in the group has done it at some point. If you've been on stage, um, I've recorded guitars that are far cheaper than what I play regularly, um, and I think that's okay. I'm not. I, I'm not telling people like you shouldn't do that. Um, but let's say you do need the features like, like you're not going to get a Floyd Rose equipped guitar for 400 bucks. Well, you, know? you will. But... Yeah. Unless you buy used. I mean, that's a hard. I, yeah. There, so Ibanez, whole... Ibanez makes the one RG that comes with the Floyd for like 400 And there's a whole even. lot of dinkies from Jackson. Oh, and, yeah. And, um, so, yeah, I'm okay. Just saying. All right. So there is a guitar for you, right? <laughs> Which that guitar doesn't make sense to me, so I'll explain why. The last thing a beginner wants to do is dick with a Floyd Rose. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> Every time a kid comes in with their mom and they say, "I want a Floyd," that looks really cool, and you're like, "No, you don't want a have Floyd." <laughs> you, have you ever played guitar? No, 
this is not the no i are you a very because you don't seem like a patient child i mean i don't say that out loud but yeah. that is what's going through my mind is that you've you've got to try to play to their strengths not their weaknesses. yeah well my girls child. my girls so so both of them have guitars one of them has um she has an uh like the the cut down rg dr micro right and then the other one has an ibanez uh hollow body uh jazz box uh one of the art cores and it has like the big maestro tailpiece on it um and i don't think she can restring it even now like i have to help her restring it when she has to restring yeah. it and, and that's so like that's a challenge could you imagine what getting a floyd rose as your first guitar would be like or a bigsby yeah i mean it's the same concept i mean it's just right. what are I'm you saying. thinking um and it's going to be bad for your intonation all that but so like my point is i just talk about the shock factor right like somebody goes in and um they have their heart set on something and then they realize like okay so to get a guitar that I I feel comfortable playing on stage that's not going to have problems like um, intonation or loose frets and it's going to have an even neck and it's going to you know it's going to have all the boxes checked it's going to look nice it's going to ha- you know that the, there's not going to be any um, uh, like problems with the neck pocket if it's a bolt on or you know basically just like a, a solid guitar right and you right. tell them seven hundred to a thousand dollars that's right so let's say um, they come in and they say just what you just said. And then, and again, let's let's stick with the simple one. Let's stick with the Telecaster, although the Strats and the stuff is going to be in the same ballpark. I think a Telecaster is a perfect example because it's bone perfect simple, example. bone simple, seven hundred dollars. I'm going to tell them classic, or I mean, a Fender Player series all day long. Yep, itself Fender Player. You can because two reasons, and I and I recommend this one for two solid reasons. If you're going to want to change the pickups ever in the future. You haven't really blown the value of Fender Player. You can you can take the pickups out and either keep the old ones and put them back in, or just get new ones. Either way, you're fine. Um, the other reason is it's tank, built like a tank. Fender Player series are great, just great guitars. So for the money, probably um, one of the best deals between six hundred. Fender Player Telecaster um, Plus Top Maple right now is six hundred dollars. Yeah, of major was, uh, of major label was, guitars, and that's it, it was seven hundred and twenty four. So that's on sale. Um, normally around seven hundred dollars. Um, so I would I would do that. I would get a Fender Player series all day long. Yeah. So that's the crazy part. So everybody who's gigged with a Mexican Strat, standard Strat, maybe before they went from the three fifty to the five hundred dollar price point, um, your guitar now is a seven hundred dollar guitar in Fender's line. So just put that's that right. in perspective. That's the cost that's of right. living increase, right? That's what the inflation rate has done to the guitar market in right. twenty years. It went from three hundred and fifty dollars in two thousand four, right around when I was playing to $500 for about seven or eight years. And now we're at what? 700, I think. Yeah. If you were selling a, um, made in Mexico standard strat right now on the used market, you're, 
easily $400 plus territory. Which is what's funny to me is because like most of them that I've seen are from the early 2000s and were purchased for 350 bucks. So they're making money on that deal. That's right. I mean, you're not really because of the, the inflation. Right. I think if you did the inflation on it, you're right at where inflation is. But it's funny because, um, you know, a guitar. Um, think about it, my age. I graduated high school in 1982, right? So a guitar bought in 1982 for me. Now, if I, if I paid a, um, if I paid $500 for a guitar, for it to have actually maintained its value against inflation, it would have to go for $1,200 now. Yeah. So when you start looking um, at older guitars and you start thinking, oh, is it really that much more expensive? You gotta, you've, you've got to account for inflation in your, in your overall look at have guitars really grown that much? Not really. See, I wonder... Right? Like we 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 base the inflation statistics on on federal government numbers, yeah. And I kind of wonder if they're not accounting for some things like you know, the uh, medical reform act that came out under Obama. Um, I wonder if those things drove the cost of living up so much because the employer passed that back on to the employee, oh, and like so, it there's this important. artificial inflation that's not reported as inflation because it's not really the value of a dollar going up it's the dollar being worth less you know what i mean like um i kind of wonder so this is what this is the mind-boggling thing for me right people people complained about gibson les paul prices being what they are versus back in the day when they were you know three hundred dollars or whatever in the 60s um and i always thought that was just inflation right and like some people have done the calculations this is basically inflation but um, what's crazy to me is we've had that $350 to $700 jump, which I want to be sure that they're actually $700. So I'm going to look it up um, in the last. Oh, but uh, I can tell you this, the uh, inflation calculator, just just the basic inflation, $350. This is the actual U.S. Bureau of Labor that I'm using. I'm not using some yeah. dot com thing. Make sure you use a dot gov when you're doing this stuff. All right, folks. You do not want an active um, web page on your computer that's using dot com unless you know it. Anyway, um, the one we use at work to do our accounting. Um, in January of 2000, if you bought a $350 item, today it's worth $531.62. That same dollar. So what was um, that? What was the number period. again? I was I'm looking for the pricing That's on fine. these. The three hundred and fifty dollars that you spent then is now five hundred and thirty one dollars and sixty two cents. Yeah. So that's I, and that's why I think is weird is like. I think everybody sort of know, what was the time period shift there from nineteen what to from January two thousand to now. So where's the other three hundred bucks? Well, they've gone up to seven hundred dollars, right? Well, yeah, but that's not five hundred dollars. That's ahead of that's ahead of inflation. I know. That's what I'm saying. That's right. odd. If I if I took that same number, let's say you bought that guitar in ninety five, it's five hundred ninety seven dollars. So 
again, it's ahead of inflation, but you got to remember the guitar is going to sit at that price for years. People won't. When when did they um, finally increase the price of the of the uh, player series? Because that was relatively recently. Oh, so so monkey wrench in the works. Yep. Um, I'm looking for the actual, just like regular old Stratocaster though. I'm seeing like eight ninety nine. Yeah, the cheapest player I'm seeing is a Floyd Rose at seven ninety nine. The cheapest Fender player I'm looking at right now is six ninety nine. Okay, so I'm look. I'm not. I don't have a good search though. Hang on. I'm at uh, Guitar Center. Yeah, yeah, six ninety nine. Fender player. Yeah, six ninety nine. Okay, um, oh, which which terrible. that's what I thought it would be, right? So seven hundred. So, yeah, they built in so they don't have to change the price over a couple of years, but they're also going to profit while that's going on. They're getting two hundred dollars extra for every play stretch. So here's where here's where like this this disjoint happens for me. Um, I'm okay with them making a profit. Like I don't care about that. I, obviously, they they're going to say we up the quality level of the guitar, and that's why it's not you know that's going to be the 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 cop out there. Um, I haven't. I mean, so my experience with the player series has not been a positive one. I played several of them at this point, probably five or six. And of yep. them, I, only one stuck it out in my mind as being okay. Um, yep. I, but that doesn't mean that there aren't good wins in the line. And I'm, I'm sure people will be happy with them. I don't know how much of that is factory setup versus, you know. Um, well, again, you're getting, we're getting, we're talking to an intermediate player, right? We're talking about somebody who wants to get one. I have played the uh, the black one with the with the um, maple fretboard. Uh-huh. It, uh, the player series, and um, so I got and it's a limited edition. We've had it on sale several times for five hundred dollars. So what and I'm I could, what I'm yeah, actually talking about playability wise, I'm talking about like sharp fret ends and stuff on a seven hundred dollar guitar. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. That, I didn't. Yep, I didn't experience that. I'm not saying that, that that that's really the only one that I've ever played because it's the only one I that interests me when I played it because it's kind of got that Dave Gilmore vibe to it. Um, and every time I've asked somebody, "What are you looking for?" They're either looking for Hendrix or or Gilmore. So if they tell me Gilmore, I point them to that one. Um, and uh, that one's been very popular. It's been very popular, and and it's well liked. Um, as far as sharp front ends, that that is something that um, I don't think nowadays. I don't think anything over five hundred dollars should have a sharp front end. No, no, and 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 it just has to do with. So I think so. I played those at Guitar Center, the ones that I've noticed that have like really sharp front ends, and I think it just has to do with the environment not being humidified. But that's pathetic. Yep. Like, get some humidifiers in there. You can't sell guitars like that. People are people aren't going to buy them, and if they do, it's because they are a beginner who has intermediate money, and they walk out with the Fender because they don't want the Squire because somebody told them Squire's terrible because they're living in the eighties. Um, yep. I, I don't know. I it's just the like, classic vibe is probably just as good. I'm just saying that, that it's just misleading, meaning misleading in the sense that. Um, I think people have this idea, and we've talked about in this group, we're like, oh, you know, gigging guitar, I'd pay about 550 bucks for basic gigging guitar. And I, and I still agree with that. I still stand by that. Um, but 
I don't, I'm not going to crucify anyone for buying a $1,000 or $1,500 guitar, even if it's like a Telecaster at that point, because what do you get? I mean, what is, what is the differentiator? Okay, so you get premium woods, usually something like that's a, a higher cut of wood or a better cut of wood. Um, that's why you see more translucent finishes, uh, in addition to the fact that translucent finishes are, they themselves cost, cost you know, they cost more. Um, and often, you know, more attention to detail, uh, just in the setup, fit, and finish. And then maybe even more attention to detail in terms of picking the wood for resonance and those kinds of things. Um, and I think, you know, to get into the really nice stuff, you're going to be looking at above 1500 But, um, I just, like, for me, somebody asks me, I've got, you know, I've been playing guitar five years. I just joined a band, and I, I don't feel like I have a great guitar for playing in this band. I'm steering them towards $1,000. Like, yeah. it's, it used to be, and we talked about the show, like, I, I, if, you're, if you've never gigged before, and you're going to play a couple gigs with a band, and you don't really, like, you've never done it before, don't blow your money on a $1,000 guitar, because you don't know if you're going to keep doing it. You know what I mean? But... It's a tool, and this is this is the this is the thing I told my wife the other day in the car. We were having a similar conversation um, regarding some things that were set at Gearfest and um, some of the. And actually, I'll, I'll circle back around to that when I get done with my thing here. But um, I think it's a tool. I think people that that pretend that you know you're going to get away with a five hundred dollar tool, right? Um, you can, I can buy tools to do my flooring or paint the, paint the walls or, um, do work on my engine at Harbor Freight. Uh, and I get the job done, but my wrist might hurt afterwards or, um, it might take longer and maybe the tool is only good for like three or four jobs before it breaks. Um, I've had good luck with Harbor Freight tools. So I'm, I, I know I'm picking on them, but I think we sort of know like, when you buy from Harbor Freight, you're not buying DeWalt. You're not buying Milwaukee. You're not, you know, you're not buying one of the big brands that everybody likes and that, that the professionals want to use. You're not buying Snap-on, you know. Um, so, you know, whether you align yourself with those brands is irrelevant at this point. I'm just throwing out tool brand names that people know, right? Craftsman. Um, I'm a DeWalt guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Milwaukee guy myself, but... Um, you... It, so when you stop and you kind of back up from that and you look at you look at that in perspective and you say okay so I'm 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 sitting here I have a I have a GNLS 500 uh it's about a $1500 guitar and then next to that's a Godin LGP90 like to put this firmly in perspective that's a $350 guitar and I like them both equally um I think that that pretty much tells you like yeah okay, I'm going to gig that LG P90, right? It was originally a $500 guitar, but I, I'm going to gig it. I'm going to take it out. And I'm going to play it at shows um, it, just as much as I will the S500. Um, and the whole point is that, like, yeah, you can get tools for, for less money, um, especially if you buy used. They can fit the, fit the needs of a particular project. That, that P90 guitar is not going to do everything I ever wanted to do, but it will do the things I needed to do um, for some of the things I actually I have very specific needs for. Um, actually, use it as a country guitar, believe it or not. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I like don't limit yourself, obviously. But if you're gonna ask me, like, hey, do you think this guitar is enough? And I, I know you're gonna be getting your regular and stuff. I'm gonna tell you, it's not. You know, if it's if it's like a $700 guitar, 
you better be damn sure it's going to do exactly what you need it to do, and it better have a good reputation and, and good pedigree. Um, I do think that I value things like resale value a little bit more than most folks, which is kind of silly. I shouldn't be buying guitars to sell them, but it does enter my mind when I think about it. I know a lot of people don't. People who buy Schecters, for example, like they're not often thinking about resale value um, because Schecters don't have great resale value. They're okay. They're not bad. I'm not, it's not Washburn, okay? Um, which if you've looked at Washburn's resale values, it's like, oh, Dean is actually the worst though. Dean has the worst resale value unless you get to the really high, high end stuff uh, like the old um, Dean MLs and that kind of thing. But um, so circle back around. So how much money should you spend? We've been riffing on that for 20 minutes now. Here's here's the, the be-all, end-all. So we started this show, um, Practical Guitars, practical being a, a play on the word practice, but also being, you know, people who are doing things that are sensible, right? Um, I watched the GearFest coverage. I watched a lot of the producer stuff. And this is something, Jim, you haven't watched all this footage, but as you're watching it over the next week, we can talk more about this next episode too, but... Um, watched some of the, the producer stuff, right? And what you're going to see yeah. is um, a lot of these guys are not like household names. They're professionals in the industry. They really are professionals. Many of them won Grammys, but they're winning technical Grammys. So you don't really know who these folks are until they you know, tell you, oh, they did this, this, and this. Um, but they're living very modestly. You can tell their homes are not expensive. They're not living in Beverly Hills. They're living just like you and me, you know, reasonable priced housing, they drive a Civic, you know, um, or thereabouts, like every man car. And then you go into their studio, their home studio, and they have like a $2,000 synthesizer next to a $3,000 synthesizer hooked up to uh, a, a very expensive Mac with, you know, uh, a $500 MIDI controller in front of them, racks filled with, with effects and, uh, you know, Neve preamps and stuff like that you know, $20,000 worth of stuff in each rack. And then they've got, they've got, you know, a 5.1 surround setup for their monitors that includes, you know, uh, PMC monitors and, you know, all kinds of really expensive monitor gear, all passive with a, with an actual outboard amplifier. And you're, and you're kind of wondering like, this guy drives a Civic and that's when it dawns on you. When you're into music, if you're a practicing musician, meaning like somebody who makes their, like a practicing lawyer in the same sense as a practicing lawyer, a practicing doctor, you have one option, and that is to spend money on your tools, right? That's yeah. where your money goes. You're not, health insurance is secondary because you have to pay the bills, right? Like, that's what I'm getting at. Like, to pay your mortgage to house all this stuff is another bill you know it's like your priorities are very different than the guy that's like literally depending on his living for this so when you watch the gear fest coverage and you see these people talking about you gotta have this and you gotta have this remember these people are beyond commitment at this point they're they are way past the point of no return and i'm not advocating everybody get to the point of no return but i think if you really want to have longevity in this business like you really have to do what what um Danny Raven was telling us, which is commit. And by commit, I mean, you know, literally put yourself in an institution or a poorhouse because yeah. it's, I, it, it, if you're, it's like one of the guys, he's a film composer, right? 
like legit film composer and he shows the score he wrote and he goes through each piece of it and actually i thought this session was not that great but then he did a question and answer at the end and i think it kind of like flipped the script on a little bit that's where you hit it yeah yeah so he shows this film score and he walks you through all the pieces and it's like i'm, I'm not quite getting the workflow of how the film scoring world works right and then i start to get it towards the end because i realize like he's demoing the film score and then he's going to turn around and he's going to take this demo and he's going to have real musicians perform it and then they're going to record to his original project track. And then he's going to deli- make the deliverable out of the project track, which it would be a two-stage process. You're not going to hire musicians until you have a finished score that you can actually show show the studio, right? right. Um, or the director or you know whoever's in charge of that. I assume it would be producer, director, studio, right? Um, so... He has to have these tools. This is not something that, like, the studio is going to provide for him. Maybe he gets an allowance for a project. They say, okay, so we want you to to mock this up for us. Here's three grand for your time for doing the mock-up. Yeah, but that's for your time. Yeah, that's for you to, like, use to pay your bills for the two or three days that it takes you to mock all this up. And if you don't have work every month... Yeah, and what people don't appreciate out of that is you've got to live on that probably possibly for a month, possibly for two months. You've got to live on that, whatever that number is. I'm not gonna say you can live on three thousand dollars for two months, but um you uh you've got to fly out, you know. They're not gonna pay for all that stuff separately. Here here is your contractor money. Here's twenty five thousand dollars or whatever. Can, can you imagine with- can you imagine writing a film score in like three days? Yeah. The- that's no. what these guys are doing. Yeah. And then they're taking the film score, and it may not be complete, but they take it to the studio and they say, this is what I'm going for. And then the studio, here's three of them. And then they go, well, we're using you. And the other two guys still get their cash advance, but they don't get anything else yeah. after that. Right. Whereas the other guy's going to get royalties and a whole deal, and he might get an advance to live on right. while he's you know, producing the, the masterwork that's going to go on the movie. But that's my point. Yeah, You're gambling. And right. they'll get, I can't remember what the thing is. It's called snap or connect yeah. or something like that. Where So that every time they show that piece, he gets a little piece of that or she gets a little piece of that. But you and I, Jim, we don't, we couldn't do that. We couldn't just forsake everything and go off and be a musician like that. It's just no. not how it works. Um, you have to get yeah. to that place. And I think that's, you know, sort of what being a practical guitarist in the sense that actually being practical means is that you have to like build up this like momentum to get there and you might spend your whole life doing it and never actually do it. Like it's, it's that kind of thing. You'll have a lot of fun. I mean, I would consider myself right now, like I consider myself a pro-am, which is that I have a professional attitude. Um, I have, I have professional playing, but my business sense is amateur, you know, and that like, I don't really have aspirations to be a professional in the sense that I don't want to be famous. I don't want to do any of that kind of horse crap. I really actually don't want to be famous. The level of fame we have with the podcast right now, I'm comfortable with. If it gets to the point where it's like people stopping on the street going, I know you, I'm going to be like, "Uh uh-uh, we ain't doing this shit. (laughs) Um, To an extent, like obviously, um, as long as people are friendly, but you know, if I know you and I'm going to hit you, like then, then it's now maybe I should rethink this. Um, I think anybody who's uh, listening to this podcast can probably relate to that. Uh, nobody wants to be, you know, have violence inflicted upon them because of something they've said. Right. Um, 
Especially if it's in comedy, because much of our stuff on our show is purely comedy. Um, I just thought it was interesting watching GearFest and watching this footage and realizing that these people are fully committed. They are risking everything every time they do something. And they have, you know, like I said, home studio set up that is worth almost as much as their house you know, in some cases. And it's a very, like, it's a frightening prospect to think, like, if you want to have, and it's it's dangerous, right? You watch this and you go, well, shit, I want that sound. And you sit there and you do the same thing, right? You're like, oh, well, I have to have that gear. And that gear is like a Neve preamp or something that's like four grand for one mic input? Be careful, <laughs> you know, don't don't build yourself up with the idea that you need these things. And we're talking about high end guitar and stuff like you don't necessarily need that. If you're really looking for a quality instrument, that's a good place to start. But um, don't oversell yourself, you know, and that's what I'm getting at. Right. I think, I think you can relate to that. I mean. Cool. Yeah. I just like I, I, awkward silences, so. No, I, I, I like the way you brought it back around. So um, just to let everybody know, I actually have uh, ordered um, a positive grid arc. Uh, yeah, it'll and, show up eventually, someday. We're, we're not holding our breath. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, so we'll see how long that takes. Um, what I didn't, so I've talked about how they crowdfunded and I'm still, I'm still okay with the way they're doing it, but um, I've been charged. <laughs> so um, I better get a product. Uh, but anyway, so um, what I didn't like about what they did was I saw they had a, they had a countdown type thing because each one of the tiers of pricing has yeah. had a close date yeah. where they closed it off. They said, yeah, right, we have, we have, and it's a scam, each, isn't it? Each one of the tiers of the um, pricing has closed off. So I saw that they closed off the highest price already for this next order. They shut it down. They said, okay, if you bought the the amp, the bag, and the headphones, you're sh that's it. There's no more. So I bought the amp and the bag. I went to mid tier. You don't need headphones anyway. You got nice ones no. already. No, I don't care about that. So I went to I went to the thing. Yeah, I've got these JBL studios. So um, anyway, I went to the um, the thing, uh, and it said this X number. And so I said, okay. Um, and if you look at my post and you look at the number now, they've added like four hundred more, <laughs> three hundred more, something like that, that you can order. And I was like, you sons of bitches. I, I, I thought to myself, you have got to be kidding me. So you have extended. I thought it was running out. That's the reason I ordered it then. I thought, okay, I meant if I'm going to get in at this price before they go sticking them in stores and the price almost doubles, I better order it now. I figured, okay, I'm going to get it before it's sitting on a store shelf and it's $400. They're never going to double that price either. I wouldn't be surprised once they get the stores involved that the price has got to go up. But anyway, that's, that's just my, my take on it. Um, so 
I order it with the bag and I see that. And then the freaking number keeps increasing so that the number always looks like there's only about 80 more left to get. <laughs> That's their trick. That's their play. To it's get a you to scam. Order it. It's a scam. It's not That's... a scam, but it is certainly not very. Um... No, it is a scam because they're misleading the amount of pe the amount it's of. Misleading. Misleading is a scam. You, it, it's like it's like an old bait and switch. Oh, we only have so many of these left, except that we're not really telling you how many we have left. That's that's unscrupulous as hell. If you really think that about is. that, that's a grift and a half. But if you look at their numbers, um, it's impressive. You're looking at the mid tier right now is in the thirty two thousand plus pre order, and the um, lower tier. The just the amp is similar, just a little more. If like thirty five thousand, if it's accurate, that is they are selling a lot. If it's accurate, if it's accurate, exactly. Because because now we already know that they're playing games with the other number. It wouldn't shock me if they're playing games with that one too. However, given the price of the amplifier, thirty two thousand units wouldn't surprise me. I, I, it actually wouldn't. Um, thirty four. 34,794 at the 224 mark. And this is not the first run. Um, no, and that doesn't include the other runs. And 13,931 at the uh, thing. I think I came up with 70-something thousand when I added all the runs together. And that was on that day. So that's a lot. But they did stop at 4,200 with the headphones, probably because they couldn't get their hands on any more than 4,200 headphones. Well, I want to But see. you're looking at this, this current tier, adding all the numbers together, you're up over, um, you're up over 50,000 units. Um, Just looking right on, uh, I was looking to see currently ordered. so here's the problem i have with this and I, I don't, i'm not saying that that those that's that's an inaccurate or accurate number mm -hmm. but but you know i'm i'm trying to to uh, pull up something so i can not talk out my rear end um there is precisely one for sale on reverb used one yeah if they sell thirty four thousand units in the mid-tier run i find that highly unlikely that they have sold ninety thousand or whatever that there's only one because i would suspect that an amp like a deluxe reverb doesn't do those kind of numbers in a year and we know that's a popular amp uh blues jr might Think about the number that they've actually delivered, though. That's what I'm saying. Something there does not... The Katana doesn't have numbers like that. I mean... Um, oh, I don't know. I don't know how many of this, the Katana sells. I somebody imagine had pretty high. told me, and I don't think it was the rep from... I don't think it was the rep from... Uh, boss but it was somebody else told me that they had heard the number and they and they they are in the industry and i don't want to reveal names um and that was that's two years ago i mean i i suppose they could be they could have hit 
30,000 30, units a year numbers now. But I, but that's my point. They're saying one run is going to have 34,000 units in it. I find that almost unfathomable for Guitar Gear. I really do. Um, because that's just a, that's an insane number. I think they're, I think they're playing games with that. Maybe it's, maybe it's 15,000 units and ha head and bag. They're counting well, as I'm two talking orders. The, the, the Spark Guitar Amp alone, 34,794 orders. Yeah, that's interesting. Then the, then the head and a bag is 13,931. 13, and then uh, um, out of now, 14,000 expected. So how many, or, how many, how many runs? 4,200. How many runs have they done? Uh, how many runs have they done already? And they've done. This is the. Uh, let's see. One, two, three, four, five. I believe that's at five. This is the fifth run. So the first so run only had a hundred of each. Okay. Okay. All right. So a hundred at each tier. So that's three hundred. That makes sense. The yeah. second run had two hundred and fifty of each. So now you're up over a thousand. Because you're at 250 each, three, three tiers, 750. The third run had 6,000 um, of the normal practice amp. Uh, these are all the, the ones that are closed, so they've, they've made these numbers. 2,000 of the other, the mid-tier, and 1,000 of the one with headphones, which is 9,000 plus the other 1,000. Now you're over 10,000, third run. Fourth run, those are all closed runs. Fourth run, also closed. 7,500 plus 3,300 plus 1,000. So now you're at um, 11, or, uh, 1080 plus 1,000. So 11,080 plus the other um, uh, whatever 1,000 that I came up with. So now you're over um, uh, what? 14, or uh, yeah, whatever, I've whatever lost count at this point. And then, yeah, and now in the current run, you're at thirty-four thousand seven hundred ninety-four. The basic amp, fourteen thousand nine hundred thirty-one of the amp with the bag, and forty-two hundred of the. Um, now, of course, I don't think any of these have actually shipped, but um, you're looking at uh, thirty-four thousand. Um, so let's say 35,000 plus, because uh, it's 34,794, so it's close enough, plus um, 13,931, so close enough to 14,000. That's that's 50,000 plus 4,200. That's 54,000 units in this current run. That's a popular amp. If that, I mean, right. If those numbers are real, and they probably are. I, said that I actually, putting it with that kind of ramp up makes sense to me. I kind of yeah. wonder if, and they've got the, the running total at the top. It says, join the 74,535 players who have already purchased a Spark. That's including the pre-orders that have not shipped yet. I just, there, there's something about that. Well, that right. And it's probably the vast majority are in other pre-orders that haven't received theirs yet. Because right. if there were more of them in existence, I know people who buy things to try it out and then flip it on Reverb. And that's why I was yeah, like, I'm if surprised. there's only one on reverb, that sounds like this is 
BS. Those numbers are BS. But the, but then when you put it in perspective, it's like, well, they've only shipped a couple thousand at this point. Yeah, if they've only shipped ten thousand. Yeah, I mean, that, I could see that. I I could legitimate because it's because it's a entry level product, right? It's like a beginner thing, mm-hmm. or it's like a very specific niche product. People are not going to look at that as high value. I can sell it on eBay or Reverb. Um, if you don't believe me, go look and see how many used Black Star flies you're going to find. It's actually yep. not <laughs> as many as you'd think would be sold. Um, so it you know put it in perspective. But uh, we're we're way over our time, Jim. So I'm going to take us out. I am a David. All right. I'm a Jim. And tonight we have been practical guitarists who ramble. <laughs>